cops put a hurting on your ass, man, you know? They really degrade you. White folks don't believe that shit, don't believe cops degrade. Oh, come on, those beatings, those people are resisting arrest. See, white folks get a ticket, they pull over, hey, officer, yes, glad to be of help. Nigga got to be talking about, I am reaching into my pocket for my license. Dispatches from Planet Funk. This is the Aced Out Podcast. Dedicated to all whom the man tried to ace out. By profiting from the soul. Without stopping to give props to the prophets of soul. That is correct. It's your boy Ace Allen, a.k.a. Barack Wayne, brought to you by the letter P and sponsored by the people for the ethical treatment of ear holes. And we're all funkin' up fam affiliated. Because funk is spelled fun with a K. That's why they pronounce it funky. Right, Jay? You know. Jay Stone. Yes, now, you sir. guys, sometimes I don't know what Jay Stone's doing over there. I don't know if he's playing Angry Birds on his phone. <laughs> but last time we had a regular episode, not episode 10, our dedication to Willie Wilde, but episode 9. During episode 9's intro, remember I was complaining bitterly, bitterly, that it's been over a year since we had a female guest on the show. Little did I know that Jay Stone was listening to my complaints. And he immediately got on the case. We did the Funk For Our Lives project mm-hmm. with B. Crit and all their fam. And uh, Patrice Chocolate Banks from Graham Central Station was part of that. Jay Stone talked to her, told her about Ace Out Podcast, and she decided to come on. So thank you, my brother. Yes, sir. And you guys, it is like the biggest honor in the world to have Patrice Chocolate Banks on as our guest. We just got done interviewing her. The lead singer and funk boxer with Graham Central Station, which used to be called, by the way, Hot Chocolate. And that's a band that she started with Larry Graham way back in the day when Larry Graham was still a bass player for Sly and the Family Stone. She was uh, enamored with him. She went and saw their show. They quickly hooked up and became a couple. She moved from L.A. to Oakland to be with Larry and asked him, come on, man, I got to have something to do. So he helped her form Hot Chocolate. Then Larry got freaked out and he quit Sly and the Family Stone. He needed a band to join, so he joined Chocolate's band. And it turned into Graham Central Station. They got signed to Warner Brothers in almost like three seconds. And they had a quick rise, and our guest, Chocolate, she performed on their classic first four albums. The self-titled debut, Jay Stone, Release Yourself, mm-hmm. Ain't No Doubt It Bout It, and Mirror. Yeah. She also performed on Betty Davis's uh, debut, Betty Davis, uh, the classic funkster. They uh, actually have a brand new uh, Amazon Prime documentary. You watched that, right? Yeah, man, it's really good. I recommend everybody check it out. All right. And then she also recorded with some jazz greats like the Jazz Crusaders. She toured with Stephanie Mills, Shaka Khan, B.B. King. She did her own solo joints. She's back and ready, straight funk. 
She was even the lead singer for Rose Royce for a while, Jay Stone. Mm-hmm. And that had some pretty cool Dr. Dre connections as well. Um, I didn't get to say this last episode. We did a tribute to Willie Wilde, the original drummer for Graham Central Station. I wanted to get right to the memorial. So now I want to say what Graham Station really means to me, Jay Stone. Yeah. Um, I've always been heavily uh, admiring of Graham Central, kind of obsessed with them. Never really knew anything about them, but even when I did my own solo projects like Electric Eel, the Ace Allen video, yeah. the band that I had, I actually modeled it after Graham Central Station, you know. Okay. Female singer with me, singing lead, I'm playing bass. Yeah. We had organ and keyboards, yeah. my friend Rachel and Stevie Kirchniak. And uh, I modeled myself after them. I love Grand Central Station. Yeah. So having Chocolate on our show, it's not like having just some, you know, some chick singer, as she oh, would man. say. No doubt. It's kind of like having John Lennon or something yeah. on the show. And talking to her is just like talking to royalty. She's also a great writer. She's a published author. She's written three books. And we base a lot of our talk off her book, Deja Vu, Memoirs of a Funk Diva. She's a great writer. Reminds me of Richard Pryor. It has a lot of humor, a lot of pain. Yeah. They should make her book into an HBO series. She talks about abuse. She shows her perspective on the funk. She comments a lot on how guys look. <laughs> and, you know, she's not impressed with all funk. She's not easy to impress. And right. she has her own serious opinions about that. Mm-hmm. And she hates the term old school, by the way. She calls it back to school or true school. She's also a broadcaster in her own right. She hosts her own, uh, she's hosted her own interview shows. Mm-hmm. She hosted the Funk for Our Lives Festival, which is a charity uh, earning for Meals on Wheels. Right. And she co-hosted with me our previous episode, episode 10, tribute to Willie Wild Sparks. Uh, by the way, Jay Stone, I attended the Zoom memorial of Willie Wild Sparks yesterday afternoon. Right. And the pastor was none other than Freddie Stone. Oh, my God. It was a very nice memorial. Right. You know, I just wanted to observe. They were shouting me out, saying hello. You know, Rusty Allen and stuff were there. But I just wanted to kind of observe and bear witness. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful memorial for Willie Wilde, the drummer. Nice. And it's just a beautiful thing. And this is a great episode. What do you think of the episode we just did with Chocolate? Uh, Man, it was very informative. And like you said, I could see... Just from, I didn't read the book yet, but just right. from the, the conversation, I could see it on Netflix, like, you know, <laughs> exactly. something like that. Netflix, hey, check this book out. <laughs> we got to pitch that for her, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, the stories and the the, the history of what she's done and the people she's she's uh, played with and sang with is, is amazing. That's you know? right. And yeah. especially for all you young ladies out there, I guarantee this will be a must listen interview for you. And Jay Stone, man, it's good to see you. Haven't seen you guys in a while. Back here in the blue room Uh with uh, Nick Ways on the board. By the way, that's fake news. This room is not blue. This room is not blue. We're honest here on Ace Out Podcast. It's kind of gray or something like that, but it's still a great room. Jay Stone, uh, I'm going to tell you a funny story. You know, everybody's walking around with a COVID-19 mask on their face. Word. And uh, I went for a drive to uh, Safeway about a month ago. Uh-huh. And this is right after the George Floyd thing. And there's lots of protests and crazy stuff. Ghetto birds in the sky, police yeah. helicopters. And I drove to Safeway one day. And I drove by this brand new Target. And the windows are all smashed out. And all, uh-huh. the, all the goods stolen and stuff. <laughs> but I was driving past uh, Mom and Pops. And nobody smashed those. They're right. just the corporations. Okay. And I got to Safeway. And I got out of my truck. 
<laughs> and this woman, this kind of uh, this good-looking woman, came up to me and she said, "Batman, please save me, Batman." And I was like, "What the heck is this chick talking about?" And, but then I looked down and I was like, "Whoa, she's right." I had like these shoes with like Batman shoelaces. Yeah. And I had this big like, because <laughs> I have you know like any uh, self-respecting five-year-old, you know, I have Batman gear you got head gear. to toe, right? Yeah. And I don't even pay attention, so I had like this Batman shirt on. Yeah. Like this tank top with like a tie-dye Batman, Word. and then my uh, <laughs> I had a Batman mask. Okay. Not, not the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the Batman mask, not that. I mean, like, you know. The face mask. The face mask, the, the COVID. Yeah. It had Batman on it. So she's all, Batman, can you help me? Uh-huh. And I was like, I felt like Phil Collins, like, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. I'm like, finally. The transformation is complete. I am Batman. I'm like, yes. <laughs> 2020, it finally happened. Better recognize. And then I was like, oh no, what's she gonna ask me to do? Like, yeah. is, she, is she getting kidnapped? Like, I'll get, I'll have an asthma attack. I'll be, yeah. excuse me, I need to use my inhaler real quick. <laughs> my eyes itch. I need to take some Claritin. But she just said, you know what? And she had like a baby in the car, and she's all, I just bought my groceries, and uh, I, don't, I had my budget. I forgot to buy her milk, and I have no more money. So I gave her five bucks. Okay. And I was like, thank God. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, man. And then the, uh, about a, a few days later, I was walking down Grand Avenue, uh-huh. and this brother, he looked like Debo, was like shadow boxing middle of the street. And I was like, oh my God. He's like, you know, his veins yeah. all bulging, yeah. looking all crazy. And I, I was like, you know, walking closer and closer. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> and then right when I got to about like six inches from him, he's all, ooh, Batman. And he totally got out of my way. Like, he didn't say hi, Batman. He was talking, he went, Batman. And he backed up and he got out of my way. I was like, this is great. Wow. I'm on my dream come true. You better recognize. <laughs> Brock Wayne, I finally turned into him, man. Oh, by the way, I wanted to read some email about episode nine. Remember, we interviewed uh, Rick Gardner. Yeah, yeah. Rick Gardner from Bootsy's Rubber Band and P-Funk, the great horny horn player. Yeah. The rubber horn. Yeah, he wrote me an email, man. I want to read it to you. Okay. Okay. So right after we posted that, he wrote me an email, and it says, Thanks, Ace. Your mission was completed with a touch of class. Some funny parts and heartfelt vibrations made this a piece of art as well as informative mini-documentary. Pat and I thank you for all of your hard work. JW was correct leading us to you and your team. Stay safe and keep funkin' on. Your friends, Pat and Rick. P.S. Keep in touch. Isn't that nice? Wow. And we fooled him. He thought we had class. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? His his, uh, his wife wrote me a, a, an email, too. Mm-hmm. It says, hi. We just finished listening to the podcast, and it was fantastic. This is his wife, Pat. Yeah. You guys are very talented and made everything interesting. I know Rick really appreciates your efforts, and I can't believe you gave me credit. Of course we gave you credit, Pat. (laughs) That was very nice of you. Great job. P.S. No thanks to Waze. He did a horrible job. No, I made that up, that last part. She didn't say that. Isn't that nice? But they thanked us, and that's a beautiful thing. And by the way, our last episode, uh, Jay Stone, the Willie Wilde Memorial... That was uh-huh. completed at my sister's house. Wow. <laughs> my yeah. sister-in-law did the final edits on that. Super duper thanks to them. She was up to late at night, and I, I don't think either of them were happy with me. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> I was being very demanding, and they did a great job. And you know what my sister said? She said she likes to listen to Ace Out Podcast because the only time she hears me talk. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of this, you guys, you probably don't believe it. I really don't talk that much. This is the most I talk all month. After this, I'm taking a vow of silence. 
<laughs> you guys, um, we're getting more and more listeners. And I thank you guys so much for it. The listeners are getting away from me, Jay Stone. I can't even keep track of them anymore. Well, that's what's up, We man. have so many Aced Out listeners, and I just want to shout some of them out. We have listeners in Pennsylvania. Hey. Listeners in Louisiana. What's up? We got listeners in Indiana, mm-hmm. Jay Stone. We got listeners in Georgia. Yeah. Listeners in Alabama. Man. What's up to you guys in North Carolina? South Carolina, That's Florida, you riding out there, Florida? What's up, Virginia? Texas, wow. Ohio, Ohio, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. What's up, Mississippi? Mm-hmm. Mississippi loves Ace Out Podcast. Down They're the always pump. listening to Ace Out Podcast in Tennessee. That's what's up. Even in New Mexico, they dig Ace Out Podcast. They're wow. talking about Ace Out Podcast in Massachusetts, y'all. In Missouri, in Missouri, that's not how you pronounce that. Jay Stone, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to correct me on that. It's Missouri. How dare I say that? How about Illinois? Is that how you pronounce that? Illinois. NYC. There you go. DC loves A Style Podcast. DC represent. How do you wow. like that tear gas? Baltimore. Puerto mm. Rico, my fellow Americans in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Wisconsin, Chicago. Hey, that's Illinois, isn't Man, it? Man, we everywhere. Detroit, Washington State. You know, in California, they dig it in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Richmond, Oakland, SAC. Wow. What's up to all my Ace Out listeners in France? Japan, Hajime Mashite. Wow. Dozo Yoroshiku, Japan. All my peeps in Germany, Deutschland. They like Ace Out Podcast, Jay Stone. The funk is everywhere. My Ace Out Podcast listeners in the Philippines, Vietnam, Nepal, mm-hmm. Indonesia, Nepal. wow, and British Columbia. That's cool, man. And that's just the places I can keep track of. I can barely keep track of this, Jay Stone. We thank y'all for we listening. We do. You know, you can listen to us on Stitcher. You can listen to Ace Out Podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcast and something called Overcast, Jay Stone. Uh-huh. Overcast has the pleasure of being in business with Ace Out Podcast, and you can listen to us there. Okay. Overcast. It's never Overcast on Overcast. But if you want to see the beautiful pictures, if you want to read some text, yeah. if you want to find some funky links, if you want to learn about the funk, where do you go, Jay Stone? I know you're ready for this question now. Acedoutpodcast.com. Acedoutpodcast.com. Thank you, Jay Stone. <laughs> <laughs> you got it now. All right. I'm about to have an asthma attack, y'all. <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it roll. We're getting to this interview with chocolate. You know what song we're gonna listen to before we get into it? Hmm. I think we need to take it down, all the way down to subway level. I mean, really far down, Jay Stone. I mean, okay. greasy. I mean, grimy. I mean, like quicksand down, brother. Muddy. I'm talking about We Bees Getting Down by Graham Central Station. Okay.
Chocolate, I, I loved your book. I loved your memoir. Um, not just the story. I just thought it was really well written. And uh, this might sound like a, a weird comparison, but you almost, like your voice, you almost remind me of like Richard Pryor or something because you're talking about sometimes really painful stuff, but it's, you have such a funny way of saying it or your little jokes that you make. It just re- I just really loved the book and I thought it was really well done. Um, how long did it take you to put that together? Um, how many drafts did you have to write? How, what was the process like doing that? Well, first of all, thank you so much to be compared to Richard Pryor. That's that's awesome. And I'm serious um, too. Yeah. So, so what happened was um, I have a cousin. Mm-hmm. Her name is Terry O'Neill, and so she's a writer. So I have been talking about writing my story for the longest time, the longest, longest time. Mm-hmm. It was I was even boring myself. You know what I'm saying? You know how you can say something so much <laughs> until even you get tired of listening to it. Sounds familiar. So, Finally, <laughs> after she had put out about three books, I'm like, wait a minute, because she's younger than me. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is ridiculous. Let me put this book out. So she self-published her books. So I went to her and uh-huh. I asked her, okay, tell me what to do, how to do it. Right. And she walked me all the way through it. And in writing the book, what I did was, what I found helpful was and made all the difference Go ahead. is when you sit down to write a book, don't try to write a book like chapter by chapter. You know, don't try to put it in book form as you are writing it. What you do is you just get everything out, everything that you could possibly think of that you might want to say, get it all out. And uh-huh. then after you do that, that's when you start putting it in, you know, breaking it down into chapters and all of that. But so that's what gotcha. made it easy, easy for me is uh, the fact that I just got it all out first, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're pretty prolific because this is one of three books you have. You also have a uh, Secret Sacrifice. What's Secret Sacrifice? I haven't read that yet. What, uh, what's uh, that one about? Well, Secret Sacrifice is actually about my journey as a woman going through the whole uh, abuse cycle. You know, it started when I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was uh, molested by my stepfather for a number of years. And then it moved through that to, uh, after I got with Larry, I shared uh, the domestic violence I experienced while I was with him. So it was just, what it is is just letting women know because every woman that I have ever met, they all have a story. They all have a story. So I have one too. So I was just sharing my voice, you know, with, Everybody, all all the other women that I've met and talked to, and just um, hoping to be able to encourage and inspire to, you know, just let them know that it happened to me too, and that I'm on the other side of it, and that, you know, whatever we can all do to help one another. That's basically what that book is, just reaching out to other women and letting them know that we are all in this together, and you can make it through. Wow, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And that's so brave of you to put that down on paper. Did you come out with that book after doing this, um, the uh, Funk Diva memoir or before? No, it was after. I did one before Funk Diva. It was called A Chocolate State of Mind. A Chocolate State of and Mind. And I was just trying to get my... Right. I was just trying to get my feet wet just to see if this was something I wanted to do or thought I could do well. And so that first book was just uh, poetry and short story. Oh, nice. And so that was, yeah, that was my first one. And then the second one was Deja Vu. 
And then the third one, uh, Secret Sacrifice. Well, Jay Stone's holding my copy, uh, my autographed copy of your um, Funk Diva memoir. And by the way, you can't keep that, Jay Stone. You uh. just get to borrow that. You have to give that back to my library. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell Jay to make sure he reads it. Oh, I must definitely. Oh, I'm going to check up on him. He has to, you know, I'm going to, he has to do a book report every week for me, you know. I'll make sure he reads every part <laughs> but, of that. And uh, I want to say this, Ace, though. I consider, I consider Deja Vu, mm -hmm. uh, like, a, I think every Funketeer should have one because I consider it like a, almost a history book. Like, well, there aren't very many books out there that, um, that Funketeers have written that uh, chronicle their experiences in mm -hmm. the funk genre. Mm -hmm. There's not very many of them out there. So, I felt that it was my responsibility to write this one just to give people, especially funk fans, an insight on what it was like to be a part of that whole experience yeah. in well, the I, Bay Area. Well, I mean, you said a mouthful there because I couldn't agree with you more. As a matter of fact, this entire interview, the infrastructure of it is that book, because even as a big, big fan of GCS all these years, I never really knew much about the group at all. Not really anything. And you're right. Your your book is a thorough thorough um, recounting of all that stuff with all sorts of, of names and faces that'll just make people feel uh, you know it's just a fascinating story from beginning to end. And I want to start. Let's you know what. Let's take it back. I want to talk about when you were in high school and some of the music you were making. I was in several groups, and one of them was called Bobby and the Promises. That was almost in middle school. That group. But Bobby was Robert Sam, who we call Butch, who was in Grand Central Station. Right. Because, um, you know, I, I am the one that uh, introduced Butch to Larry, and that's how he ended up being in Grand Central Station. So at that time, Butch was trying to be another Ray Charles, okay? <laughs> so he was singing, playing the organ. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so we, uh, I have some pictures of some of our very first gigs where wow. um, Bobby Watson of Rufus was um, playing behind us. You know, we had a band. This was so, it was Bobby and other people I could name that would be uh, people from L.A. They would be familiar with the name. But Bobby Watson was the, was the most one because he was, he was in Rufus. Wow. So that was one. And the next one uh, was, was called The New Perspective. And the reason why the new perspective is important is because they were the band that um, I had put back together after I left the Dualtown Pipers. And we were, and Dick Griffey was my manager, and right. we were the uh, opening act on the uh, show where Spy was a special guest, where I met Sly and Larry. Right, and I, that was a funny part in your mm -hmm. book when you said Dick Griffey, he thought you were crazy because he kind of only wanted to meet Larry out of everybody in the group. He's all, that's all you want to meet is Larry? <laughs> you were, <laughs> you fixated on him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know if I would be asking too much to meet everybody, right. so I was just trying to play it safe. Like, if I couldn't meet anybody else, I would love to meet Larry Graham. And what was that <laughs> first, that very first meeting like? Oh, shoot. That was so magical. That was so surreal. Like, that was a total out-of-body experience. How old were you? I was, I was right out of high school. Mm -hmm. Well, no, actually, I was right out, out of the Dulatown Pipers. So I was still in my teens. Uh-huh. So I 
was a sly and the family stone freak. I had every album. I knew everything that there was to know about them. And Sly, of course, was the one that I admired, of course, because it was his group. And I love Sly's voice. Also love Freddie's voice. Freddie has a beautiful voice. I agree. But it was something about Larry Graham that, you know, he just, he just, the, the, the bass, he was bass personified. He played the bass and he sang you know, in a bass voice. And really, before Larry Graham, I had not, after all my life being in music and being in bands and all that, I had never really um, understood what bass was all about until I heard Larry. Mm. Really? You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like I, it's like I discovered bass wow. right through Larry Graham. That's amazing. <laughs> and you said, yeah, and you so, said also, um, um, when I met them, oh, go ahead. okay, what? Go ahead. I was just going to throw in you there. You have to stop me because once oh, I, I get know. on the road, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> stop you. Um, no, I was just saying also um, you gave, you said you gave Rose a lot of props for some inspiration too uh, in those early days. Exactly. I love Rose and I love Cynthia because I had never seen women do what they were doing before. Black women Go in ahead. a group like that. I'd never mm-hmm. seen a woman play an instrument. You know what I'm saying? And I, yeah. and I and it was brand new. And when I saw them doing that, that's when I knew that that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Because, you know, before before Sly, for me, it was like uh, Motown, Aretha Franklin, mm-hmm. all right. that. Not bands. You right, know right. what I'm talking about? Right. And so I had never seen, uh, other than um, a female, unless she was a gospel uh, artist, because mm-hmm. gospel artists, they play piano, you know. Yeah. and accompanied themselves a lot like Aretha did. But as far as being in a band like that and Rose was playing and Cynthia was on that horn killing. <laughs> it was like, man, so, women can do this. I want to do this. Right. So the whole ensemble just, it meant a lot to you in a lot of different ways, huh? I mean, it's just, it was, it was firing in all cylinders as far as inspiration for you. Exactly. It definitely was. Tell me about, what spurned the move from, because you were an L.A. girl, and then you relocated to Oakland, uh, basically to move in with Larry and his, was it his grandmother? Yeah, it was, it was his grandmother, yes. I was uh, raised in L.A., went to school in L.A., and uh, yeah, when Larry and I got together after, um, okay, this gig I was telling you about when I first met him, right. I would say about... Uh, less than a year because I had a get I had a a tour set up that I was uh, going to be doing with this group called Magic Faith and Soul, mm-hmm. and we uh, were scheduled to go over to Vietnam and Thailand. And, really? Uh, yeah. So we were doing army bases, military bases. So I had to do that first because really oh. I could I almost called them up and told them that I couldn't go on this tour, but I couldn't do that to them because we have been rehearsing so long mm. and so hard, you know, to get right. ready for this tour. So when I came off the tour, that's when uh, a couple of months later I went to uh, Oakland to to live with Larry. Gotcha. So I say from meeting him to actually moving in with him, it might have been like maybe about six months. <laughs> wow. And um how was mm-hmm. how was the pad? The pad in Oakland. Oh, it was please. To me it was a mansion. 
um, he had like a ranch style house and it was big. It was huge. And his grandmother lived with him and she had her own like separate um, living quarters. She had the living room, a kitchen, bathroom, a couple of bedrooms down there on her end. So um, it, it was, you know, something that um, the only part I didn't like about it. Uh, I am a clean freak. So the only part I didn't like about it was keeping it clean because it was so big. And there was always people coming over and there was a music room and that music room was lit up like it seemed like day and night. And that was the hardest room to keep clean because it was always packed full of every musician in Oakland. and Well, I might as well say the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And at that time, um, Mickey's Big Mouth. Everybody was drinking. Remember uh, Mickey's yeah. Big Mouth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Remember? <laughs> it was in a little green, it was in a green bottle and yeah. it had a wide mouth. Yeah. So I was constantly throwing away Mickey's Big <laughs> Big Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I got tickled for a minute. I was constantly throwing those bottles away and of course of course, roaches and joints and stuff. It was, it was drugs all over the place. So I was constantly uh, trying to keep that room clean, which was very hard because it was so much funk generated in that room. Right. No matter how much I cleaned it up, I could never get, you know, it would never yeah. be fresh. You know what right. I'm saying? Because it was so much, it was so much funk and heat and sweat generated in that room like trying to empty the ocean with a bucket right it's just (laughs) 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 yeah that's a constant theme throughout that book jay that's why i was laughing she's always Uh, talking about like cleaning stuff and nasty stuff yeah it's like a constant thing throughout the years it's it's a constant theme with her and um i want (laughs) to yeah and so that period happened and to dip our toe into some music i wanted to play a, a little snippet of a song and ask chocolate about it on the other side, uh, you know you've heard of There's a Riot Going On, Jay. Yeah. And that's just a, an album that's near and dear to so many hearts. Let's listen to a little bit of Love and Hate, and then I'm going to ask Chocolate about this on the other side. Love and Hate from a Riot. Slide. Some of the scenes in this book that Chocolate wrote, it's almost like The Wire or something. I don't even, it's okay. like crazy. So there's this scene in her Set book where she's setting up like uh, what it was like to be kind of around Sly's place and recording. Uh-huh. So she and Larry went to Sly's place. Yeah. And then what happened, Chocolate? How did how did it set up where you wound up singing on here? Because that's, 
that she and Larry singing that uh that lick throughout okay. the end there. Feel so good, yeah. feel so good. And uh, you know, they just sing felt- it, sing it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> but uh could you set the scene for us a little bit? Um uh, what was it like uh Okay. So I was living in Bel Air and he had this um his house looked like a, a little mini castle, right? A little <laughs> mini castle. So Larry and I were there because um, Larry was supposed to be recording, so I was working on There's a Riot Going On. So um, he had called Larry to come so that uh, he could record. So mm-hmm. the thing about Sly is you have to, whenever you were working with him, you had to be on Sly time. So I don't even think he was aware of uh, time passing the way we are aware of it. Like, we're, <laughs> we are aware of hours and right. minutes and seconds. But Sly, he, you know, none of that. He, he's on Sly time at all times. So we have been there for about at least three days. Wow. Um, <laughs> waiting, waiting, <laughs> you ain't kidding? Waiting for Larry. <laughs> waiting for Larry to do whatever he was going to be doing. Because wow. you never knew. Larry didn't even know what he was going to be recording. He just knew that Sly called him and told him to come because right. he needed him to record. So um, one night we were, um, it was about 3.30, anywhere from 3.30 to 4.30 in the morning. And so Larry and I were staying in this big, I'm going to call it like a, a a powder room situation. It was a it was a bathroom slash little powder room. It had a couch in it and oh. it had a, a, a toilet and it had a sink. A couch and a and, toilet. Um so I had made it up. It it was almost like a studio, you know what I'm saying? Mm. I brought I lived in LA, so I had brought some towels and blankets and rugs and everything else there. So that I could set up, because once I saw we were going to be there for a minute, it was like, okay, I might as well make this comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I had it all set up. So basically, we were pretty cool. So (laughs) that morning, Sly knocked on the door, right? Larry, Larry. You know, he never did say Larry. He always said Larry, (laughs) L-A-R. So so uh, so he he woke us up, and he said he was ready. So we went in there, and um, I was just hanging out, right? I was just gonna be hanging, right? So, but he needed uh, he needed that other note mm-hmm. um, on the end of this song. So I ended up that's how I ended up being on this song, which, by the way, was a dream come true for me. Right, I'm sure to mm-hmm. be able to sing on a to be able to sing on a slide of family Woo! song. You must right. have been over the moon. That was everything. Yeah. That was everything. <laughs> and so I was just, it didn't even matter that I, you know, just woke up and all of that. And it was three, four o'clock in the morning. None of that mattered. Larry and I were in there singing because the, the rest of the vocals have been done. It right. was just the vamp that right, needed right. to be done. Mm. So we were in there doing it. And I was just so happy. <laughs> nice. I bet you must have been over the moon. <laughs> and um, I was, I was happy. Right. And, um, there, there was always, you said there was always a lot, like pretty thick tension between Larry and Sly, just always, right? Like they they never were really like boys, you know? There's always just that big, big kind of like alpha male tension always going on, right? Well, I'm not exactly sure about what happened before I was with Larry, but after I was with him, yeah, yeah there was that tension. I'm not quite sure where it came from. 
from, from in my opinion, just from me observing, yes. it seems like it, it might have had something to do with, like you said, that alpha male thing. You know, Larry um, had his own style. Yeah. He could hold his own. Right. He, he got attention for just being Larry Graham. I mean, after all, he did discover uh, a whole method of playing the bass. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so I think that um, it had a lot to do with that between he and Sly. And um, when we first interviewed Rusty Allen, our very first Aced Out episode, he made like a passing reference. We asked him, like, how did you get in Sly? And he said something about uh, Larry's entourage and Sly's entourage having some sort of battle. And I almost like didn't even believe what I was hearing. But then sure enough, I read your book and in fine detail, you described this whole saga <laughs> after which basically Larry refuses to come back. Like he was afraid for his life, right? Right. That, uh, yeah. Well, you know, let me just say this. There was a whole bunch mm -hmm. of cocaine in the mix, okay? And so I don't know if you know anything about this or not, but cocaine tends to make people extremely paranoid, like extremely. And um, so everybody was doing enough cocaine where as everybody was extremely paranoid. Right. But this one story that you're talking about, I'm not going to go into deep detail because I would like the people to buy no, the yeah. book. Buy the book. And read it buy for the themselves. Book. Yeah. <laughs> but I can say that after a, a gig in Los Angeles at the Coliseum, like, by the time we left that gig, Larry was so freaked out. He thought he was escaping for his life. And right. we actually, like, ran. We ran from L.A. Mm -hmm. and escaped back to Oakland. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. They got to make an HBO series about her book. I'm telling you, at least three seasons. She's got, like, story after story. Wow. And, um, okay, so here's another thing a lot of people don't know uh, that we got to let people know now. So there was a band formed called Hot Chocolate. Not to be confused with, you know, I believe in miracles. Not that mm -hmm. hot chocolate. Hot chocolate <laughs> as in... <laughs> you gotta cut it out. As in named Every after... Time you sing. <laughs> I'm in a singing mood, hey. Um, she, okay, it was, it was her band. And did you and Larry form that band to go out on the road with Sly? Could you remind me what that was? Hot Chocolate? Initially? No, what that was was what that was, was that while Larry was on the road with Sly, okay. before when we were together, before I started going on the road with him, I was just there in Oakland uh, with his grandmother. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so I was like, I needed something to do. Like, I was bored, and I was a musician and a singer, so I needed something to do. Oh, that so was it, right. when right. Larry came, yeah, when he came home off the road one time, I'm like, Larry... I need something to do. Can what can we do about this? And so he um put the he put a group together and of course I'm called Chocolate, so the group was called Hot Chocolate. So um the group was um Herschel was in the group, a brother on the Herschel, uh, the brother on. on the base, his name was Paul Jones. Paul Jones, and make sure we'll say Herschel Happiness Chocolate to make sure we teach our Herschel listeners who Happiness. don't Yeah, on the uh, clavinet. Okay. And then Gregorico. Gregorico on drums from Sly. Yeah. On drums. Yes. And um, so it was hot chocolate. So we, Larry was, uh, you know, producing us. We were hoping to get a record deal. Wasn't Neil so Sean playing he gave in that? me something to do. Uh, Neil Sean was in and out. But yes, he was. He okay. was in and out. Got it. So, so that was the purpose of the group. Just to, so 
to, so that Larry could produce us, so that I could have something to do while he was gone, and so that he could have something to do when he came home off the road. Got so it. When he left Sly, when he left Sly, he just joined the group. Right. And it became Grand Central Station. So Larry joined mm. your group. Yes. And the first lineup of uh, Grand Central Station, the original lineup was uh, Herschel Happiness, mm-hmm. Butch. By that time, um, by that time, we had called Butch on the organ. Um, Neil Sean, yeah, on the organ. Neil Sean and Gregorico, Larry and myself. Wow. That was the original lineup for Grand Central Station. Wow, nice. that's amazing. That's so cool. And what, um, so, um, and by the way, you guys look for episode 10 of Aced Out. We have our memorial tribute to Willie Wilde. Uh, when did Willie Wilde come into the mix as the drummer? Um, Willie came in like right after, right after Neil, cause Neil and Greg left at the same time. So David Dynamite, did he come in too? Yes. Willie and Herschel, they were friends. They grew up together. They went to school together right. and everything. So Willie was always up at the house because Herschel was always up there because we were rehearsing. Got it. So it was a natural thing for Willie to just slide right in when Greg left. And and David, too. I'm not quite sure how. Da- I think David came in via Willie, I believe. So uh, Willie just brought David with him. Got it. Mm. And you guys used to play um, the Orphanage a lot in San Francisco, which is where I believe you got your record deal, right? Some cats from Warner Brothers saw you there? Exactly. Yeah, we played the Orphanage all the time. That was our base. We we packed the Orphanage out all the time. And we also played uh, Keystone Berkeley a lot. And um, since you got that record deal, I want to commemorate that. Let's listen to a little bit more music. Uh, this is a real <laughs> stanky song. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is, Jay Stone. Let's listen to some of that. Heard swinging it to that song, man. Oh, tell me what it is. Hey, who, who tell us who's singing on that chocolate? 
<laughs> Tell us who's doing the vocals on that one. Okay, Lenny Williams, myself, and Larry. Lenny Williams. Yeah, and that's Freddie Stone on the guitar. Freddie Stone on the guitar, it's man. It's beautiful. It's so funky. Hey, what do you remember or what do you mm. think about when you think about recording tracks for the, the first GCS album, the Graham Central Station self-titled debut? It was like it was like a baby to me. It was mm -hmm. like having a baby because right. we had rehearsed so long and so hard on that material. And that's the same material that we were playing in the orphanage and right. in Berkeley. Right. So we had been playing that material for a long, long time. And it had gone through many, many phases. And just to be able to finally hear it, record it, yeah. was <laughs> like, it was like having a baby. I bet. I know, I know the feeling. <laughs> so I'm saying that's what it really was like. I felt like, you know, I felt like it was, you know, so it was born from me yeah. because so much blood, sweat, and tears mm -hmm. went into, because Larry was a taskmaster as far as um, rehearsing goes, okay. which is cool with me. I right. love to rehearse. Right. But day and night, we would rehearse day and night. So, um, yeah, just, just thrilled. I was just thrilled beyond awesome. belief and just almost could not believe it. And that album is my favorite Grand Central Station album that I was on of all time. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, I don't blame you. It's, it's awesome. The way I love the way it sounds, like the tones, the instruments, yeah. the songwriting. Uh, it's just, it's awesome. Did you guys actually spend a lot of time doing the actual recording and mixing of it? Or was that a quick process? I know you said you were working on it for so long, but when you actually like laid it down, was that a quick process? Yeah, that was a quick process because we knew the material inside and out. You know, mm -hmm. we have been singing it for so long. So um, my part was quick, you know, going in and doing my vocal parts and and uh, playing my little funk box box parts and you know we knew it like the you know inside and out. Mm -hmm. oh. So that part was quick. The longest, the the most intense part of it was the mixing part, and I wasn't really there for most of that part. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you. You just mentioned something else that's uh, innovative. Was there anybody else before you? playing a funk box live on stage? I'm trying to think. Did anybody else do that before you did it? Like, actually play it on stage? Because I know it was used on recordings, but you might have uh, been... Yeah, it was used on recordings, but no, nobody... So you're the first on one, stage. I think. And yeah, I'm the first one. Yeah. And that happened because I told Larry that I just didn't want to be the chick singer right. standing up there playing the tambourine. Right. I wanted to feel like I was a part of the fabric of what the music was. Yeah, right. And so I need we needed to come up for, with something for me to play. And so um, it was a funk box. Larry suggested, okay, we'll play this then. Let's try this. And it worked out cool. Mm -hmm. Right, it did work out cool. And I remember you said that in your book, Chick Singer status wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? You wanted to be playing something. No. Right. <laughs> 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 Around the same time, I uh, wanted to ask you, Chocolate, because they just came out with um, a documentary on Amazon Prime about Betty Davis, and she was also featured in that um, Tales from the Tour Bus show a couple of years ago. And I know you spent some time with Betty Davis. You and her were hanging out in the Sausalito Hotel, I think. Was that where you guys used to hang out um, while you were recording her record? Yes. Okay, so that happened because uh, Greg was her 
producer. Mm-hmm. Gregory hired Greg to be her producer. Yeah. And so, of course, Greg, you know, his finger was on the pulse. He could reach out to any and every musician in the Bay Area. And in those days and times, the Bay Area was just full of musicians, mm-hmm. and and the and the magic was everywhere. It wow. was in the air, it was in the water, Ugh. it was everywhere. So, so Greg put together, um, you know, the musicians for to be on her album, and of course that was Larry. Mm-hmm. That was most of Grand Central Station, mm-hmm. and um, so that's how I ended up on uh, Betty's album. And Betty was so cool. She was she was a character. She was a character. <laughs> and she did stay in at a hotel in Sausalito. So I would hang out with her at her hotel in between sessions or go early before the session and hang out with her and stuff yeah. because she she was really cool. I had never met anybody like her before. Mm. So and she took we immediately the funk in both of us, we had a connection and we immediately just you know, bonded. Right. And so uh, that was a really great experience. Hey, Waze, let's, uh, since we're talking so happily about this great stuff, let's play a little bit of that Betty Davis. This is a tune that Chocolate did with her called Your Man, My Man. Check out this little uh, Bay Area ladies <laughs> having a little bit of an argument here. This is pretty good. Chocolate, you said um, yeah. At, at first, at first, when you heard Betty, like her singing style, you thought she was playing, right? You were like, <laughs> I did. I thought, it was like, girl, it was like, girl, quit playing. Come on now, let's let's get this song done right quick. Quit playing. But she was not playing. Betty was not playing. That right. was her sound. Right. I had never heard a woman sound like that before. And um, it was something, quite frankly, that I had to get used to 
But um, I did get used to it, and then and and then I gave her props, and I admired her for the fact that she was being so uniquely herself. Yeah. And I want to say also that she had an all star. A gang of people on that album. Not only did she have all the best musicians, but also the Pointer Sisters right. and Sylvester. Remember Sylvester? Yes. He also did some vocals on that Tell and me. some others that I'm leaving out. But yeah, she she brought in the cream of the crop at that time on her album. Nice. Yeah, but Betty tickled me because I, I, I didn't think she was serious. <laughs> and then look, she, she ended up being, a, a you know, the queen of uh, many people. Her followers yeah. call her the queen of right. funk. And yeah. still now, you know, still now she is being held mm. as the queen of funk and people love her. Do you have any idea or you the same as everybody else, like what where she is or whatever came of her? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I okay. have been uh, a young lady named Danielle. She uh, got in touch with me. She lives in Pittsburgh. Betty's in Pittsburgh. And she got in touch with me because some kind of way she got hooked up with Betty. Betty Davis and, is in Pittsburgh. Um, she wanted to, Betty Davis. And, and Danielle wanted to, uh, she was doing some kind of article. And she uh, knew that Betty and I had worked together. Oh. And so she um, she called me up and I let her do this interview. Mm -hmm. And so she... Betty has taken her as like almost a companion. Like she sees Betty like two or three times a week. Nice. Uh, Betty wrote a song for her and Danielle is a singer. And so she recorded it. She put it out not too long ago on Facebook. The, the money was supposed to go toward uh, um, the music program in high schools in Pittsburgh. Mm. So Betty is alive and well, and Danielle sees her all the time. And Danielle, Danielle and I keep in contact. Oh, That's wow. Cool. That's amazing. Thank, oh, my God. Thank you yeah. for that update. That's amazing. By the way, didn't you say that um, Betty Davis used to put mayonnaise in her hair? <laughs> she did. You know, Betty Davis, she was one of those types. She was, real, she was a health nut. She didn't eat meat. Right, you know, she, tofu did, and stuff. she did everything very organically. She didn't drink any mm -hmm. of that. And so she had this huge fro, right? She had a head full of thick hair and had this huge fro. And um, she joined some of those times that I would go early and hang with her before the session. She would wash her hair and she would put mayonnaise and eggs in her hair, mm -hmm. like to condition it and stuff. That's <laughs> what she would use. And it worked because My she had a beautiful head of hair, so it worked. Your but mom used to do she that? She was yeah. trying to get me, because in those days and times, I wore wigs, right? Everybody wore wigs except Betty. Right. So okay. she would be trying to talk me into taking off my wigs uh -oh. and stuff and telling me I should use the mayonnaise and the eggs and stuff. And I told her, girl... <laughs> Only time I use mayonnaise and eggs uh, on my sandwiches, okay? But you go ahead and do your thing. <laughs> I really like the tune. I don't think you guys did this live that much, but the tune, why? Yes, that was one of my favorites. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of that, because that's, that's a good old tune. Okay. Let's listen to that. Part. We have been together 
That's a tune. You mm. know what I mean? People need to talk about that song more. That's a great Probably. song. Around this I time. I love that song. Yeah, it's so good. It sounds so great. Um, I was going to ask you what I was trying to segue into before. Uh, you were talking about, this is an interesting kind of point you're making in your book. Was this around the time that you said it was sort of like you could see the, the thing between you and Larry, the love affair was pretty much over. And, uh, but you were like, you know, this band is badass and I put a lot of work into this. Is that around kind of this time when this album came out that you realized that that wasn't really going to continue anymore and that yet you were still wanting to go ahead with the group? No, not this. The first album and everything surrounding the first album was cool. Okay. It was like uh, after the after the second album, right before the third one, right before uh, Ain't Nobody Doubt It. Got it. So you were so you guys were still still okay, or you're still making a go of it when you did release yourself. Is that right. what you're saying? Okay. And by the way, I know you. You know, I love the the self titled debut. I'm a personal, real big fan of Release Yourself. I love that album. Uh, just something about it. I just love it. We, I know we played the title track and we played um, Come On and Feel It on Willie's Memorial. And I want to listen mm-hmm. to maybe a, another tune or two from that uh, with you. Uh, one, one I always really dug was Got to Go Through It to Get To It, especially because of the message. I kind of need it right now in 2020. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, we all need to be right about that. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit of that and talk about uh, talk about it on the other side. Okay. By the way, everybody, uh, listening to the sound of my voice, if you want to get any of Chocolate's three books, also want to buy some of her gear, she has a clothing line, go to onestopfunkshop.com. That's the numeral one, S-T-O-P-F-U-N-K-S-H-O-P.com. And uh, Chocolate... Uh, you guys pl- started to play some pretty great gigs 
you're touring. Uh, you guys had like revivals in the South, and you guys were huge in D.C., right? Yes. They loved us in D.C. D.C. has a, a grasp on the uh, DNA, you know, funk DNA. You know, they party right. hard in D.C. <laughs> and also another place I love to go to was Philly. They party hard ah. in Philly and D.C. Nice. And you guys mm-hmm. used to... You guys used to come on stage through the crowd, right? Like you did a whole like big uh, build up for the intro. Yeah, we would we would march down the aisles <laughs> from nice. the you know yeah we march down the aisles with drums and whistles. <laughs> uh, at first, in the beginning, we we would use they would use melodicas. You know what a melodica is? Yeah, yeah. that you blow through with the keys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at first, that's what we did at first, and then it, it graduated into the the whole drum thing. But yeah, we would do that all the time. At the orphanage, we would like march in. We would come up the, we would march in through the back of the club. So we would come from outside the club, okay. march in through the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. To the stage. That's yeah, so fun, man. Do that. Sly had done that. So Larry just incorporated it and made it just a, you know, a staple of what we did. Wow. And you said celebrities would come see you guys, like in London, like Rod Stewart and people like that, huh? People would check, come check you out. Yeah, well, we did this Warner Brothers tour, uh-huh. and Warner Brothers, uh, all their acts, all their bands, they they uh, sent us all out on tour. It was called the Warner Brothers Music Show, and uh, so we did go to over there to Europe, London, all those places, and everywhere we went. Um, what whatever stars were in or celebrities were in town, everywhere we went, they would come. And if we were there more than one night, they would come every night we were there. Wow. So I got wow. a chance to meet, um, you know, the Rolling Stones, uh, Bowie, uh, wow, wow, Rod Stewart, wow. all of them, because they were big fans, you know, of the funk music. And it was us, Tower Power, Little Feet, the Doobie Brothers. And I'm probably missing somebody, but they came out, they would come out. But, you know, they always have done that and they still do that mm-hmm. over in the uh, in Europe, in the UK, especially. Um, What's they that? love and they study black music. Right, yeah. right. And right. so they they appreciate uh, black music more than um, it's appreciated here in the state. You right. know, it's weird, but that's the way it goes. You know, the Beatles, they would study music and study blues and mm-hmm. study uh, so hard until they mm-hmm. could run down the history of black music to black people yeah. right. that didn't, they would be teaching black people, Americans about, you know, what was ha- the <laughs> origins crazy. and the history of black music. So yeah, um, I I went off into a little tangent right there. No. But yes, they all did come out. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're speaking no, That wasn't a was tangent, fun. that was the main ingredient what you said. And also, um, you're talking about, you said your most, one of the most insane gigs while you were in GCS was 1975 at Oakland Coliseum with the Ohio Players and Funkadelic, right? Mm. Yes. What was so insane about that? Well, okay. You just (laughs) said it. Funkadelic and Ohio Players. Well, first of all, we were on a tour with the Ohio Players and Funkadelic, they were just on that particular gig. So we had been touring with the Ohio players for about maybe two months and um, all over the United States, right? So we were opening. We were the opening that we would go on before the Ohio players. So needless to say, 
the Ohio players aren't really known for funk music. You know what they do, they do well, but not known for funk music. So we were going before them and we would tear it up everywhere we went all the time. We would tear it up, wear the people out. By the time the Ohio players came on, everybody was exhausted. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but so, but this particular gig, um, like I said, uh, P-Funk was on there. So between, uh, us going on first, because we still went on first. We went on first. Did we go on first? I think so. We went on first. Then George came on next, and then the Ohio player. So oh, my goodness. It was like a, a roller coaster of everything that had to do with funk on that particular show. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Let's listen to a little bit more tunes. Keep it rolling with a Tis Your Kind of Music featuring Chocolate, Patrice That's Banks. That's a good one. Oh, my God, it is. Love it. I feel like I'm at the beach when I hear that. I love the headspace I get on that with that. Hey, you guys got voted Best New Artist for the Grammys, right? Yes, we did. But you we did. got a nomination. Yeah, but Marvin Hamlish won, huh? Can you Mar- believe that? <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? But you guys but had the fun. Whole ex- yeah. The whole experience was... Uh, the whole experience was just so awesome, you know, get, getting to dress up in this gown, you know, and right. go sit down and be on TV and all that. It was it was nice, and we knew we were robbed, but it was cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then one thing we get into, so you got the first two albums, uh, Graham Central Station and Release Yourself. And then somewhere along the line there, as we mentioned earlier, you, you two fell out of love, you and Larry. And then he he starts getting into Jehovah's Witness. And that's sort of when you really kind of felt like uh, a little bit alienated, I guess. Is that true? Or like you weren't really feeling the message or something? 
Um, okay. We could put it like that. I wasn't feeling the message, yeah. Because um, I did attempt to, as the whole group, you know, there was a change, we thought, in Larry when he became a Jehovah's Witness. So he, we wanted to, like, Cause you are look religious. into it and see. Yeah. We wanted to look into it and see if it was real. Right. And for us, if it would be real for each one of us, because we did notice a change, of mm-hmm. course. So uh, we looked into it. Um, some of us stayed. Some of us didn't. Um, Herschel, he's still Herschel Happiness. Mm-hmm. He's still a Jehovah's Witness to right. this day, as is Larry. Right. Um, Butch was a Jehovah's Witness for a while, but he went back to his Baptist roots. Right. I didn't. I didn't um, stay involved in it very long at all. I did not like anything about it. To me, it was very cultish. Yes. And, and, and you know, people believe what they want to believe. Uh, different strokes for different folks. But I just want to say, as far as I'm concerned, with the Jehovah's Witness thing, is when I found out that um, what they, they have a thing called, I believe I'm saying it right, excommunication. And what it is, what that basically boils down to is if you are a Jehovah's Witness and your family, your mother, your father, your kids, your siblings, anybody, if they are not Jehovah's Witnesses or say if they are a Jehovah's Witness and they do something considered wrong, you know what I'm saying, as far as the Jehovah's Witness, then they get kicked out. And at that point that they get kicked out, you are not allowed to communicate with them at all you can't talk to them you know what i'm saying you can't look at them any any and when i found that out it was like well see the god i know he's all about love and forgiveness Mm -hmm. so this right here this is not gonna work for me and it sounded like even like um the album cover covers and stuff like you weren't really relating to it uh compared to the no yeah no because at, at the point that uh larry was beginning to get deeper and deeper into the Jehovah's Witness religion. Now our albums were turning into uh, Jehovah Witness funk bands. You know what I'm saying? They were turning into religious funk bands. And that's not what my vision was for Grand Central Station. I was not trying to be a religious Mm -hmm. uh, funk band. You know what I'm saying? So that, that was not my message. That was his message. It wasn't my message. Yeah. And while this is all going on, there was still some uh, good music being made. Uh, uh, Ways, do we have a snippet of, uh, let's hear some of this funk box, first of all. Do you have a snippet from yeah, that? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. You have that snippet from the jam, my friend? Oh. Uh-huh. 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 Hey, it goes like this. 
It's a nephew and K box. Do it. There it's a nephew go. and K box. The fun box. I love uh, it. And let me ask you. <laughs> let me ask you about songwriting. Um, okay. You said that you wrote a lot of this stuff, and so did some other people, but you never got credit. Um, so you you guys were more of songwriting teams when you work on this material, and you kind of would figure out later that you're not really getting uh, the credit you should be getting. How did how did that work? Okay, well, the way that worked was in the infamous music room. We would all get in there, you know, we'd be in there rehearsing or whatever, yeah. and we would start jamming. You know how that is. You start jamming each musician. They played their own part. Somebody starts out a groove, right? And everybody joins in with their own parts, what they do. Mm -hmm. And so in that same way, that's how the vocals went. Like, we would make it up as we go along. So a lot of our songs, that's because, you know, I was a writer. And so a lot of our songs that we, the end result of it was a, had been, it had been a jam session and most of the lyrics were mine and Larry, but most of them were mine. And no, uh, and, and if other people did, they contributed to here mm -hmm. and there, but mostly the music part, mm -hmm. but the, the lyrics mostly was my department. So, and no, I never did get any, um, credit, any money. And when I finally woke up and said to Larry, you know, Larry, you know, I helped write this, 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 and this song right here. Mm -hmm. And I'm ha I don't have any credit. My name's not on it, anything. And he told me, uh, those were just suggestions. That's what he <gasps> said to me. They were just suggestions. Mm. But they were suggestions that you use, though, and that you're getting paid for. So that's how that happened. But you know what? what? Unfortunately, that is not a, a new story. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that has been going on for years and years and years. But you would think that a group that you were in, that you helped to build and organize, really, that you co-founded, really, right. you would think that, you know, the person, and, and Larry and I were together, so you would think that he would not have done that to me, of all people, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. he did. Well, I got to tell you something. That's, I mean, that's just terrible, and uh, I hate to hear that, um, but I'm glad you're speaking up yeah. on it, at least. But uh, that's a lot of money. Well, yeah, it's the truth. It happened. Yeah, that's I don't like to hear that, mm. and especially during that time, uh, I don't know. It's it's just I hate to hear when people aren't getting credit where credit's due. What do you think about or money? Let's not leave our money. Well, that's what I said earlier. Due. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of money. First, I mean uh, uh, above anything else, really, um, and that's not right. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I was gonna say um, on the Ain't No Doubt About It album. What do you think of the song Water? Water. See, the thing about it was when Je when Larry was becoming the Jehovah's Witness, yeah. the lyrics changed. Mm. The lyrics became real preachy, but but fortunately, the tracks remained funky. Uh -huh. And right. to me, Water is one of the funkier tracks. Mm -hmm. All right, let's check out that track. We'll see that dynamic. What you're talking about. Let's check out. This is a little okay. bit of Water from Ain't No Doubt About It, featuring, featuring chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Going through, yeah. That's why we 
everybody out there in Aced Out Podcast land. Don't forget, One Stop Funk Shop. That's where you can get yourself hooked up with everything chocolate's got to offer. She has three books. She has Secret Sacrifice. She has a chocolate state of mind. That's what the state of mind I'm in right now. And she also <laughs> has Deja View, Memoirs of a Funk Diva. Hey, Chocolate, what's the difference between funk, F-U-N-K, and funk, F-O-N-K? <laughs> okay, well, the difference is, I mean, how many times do you hear people say something is, because F-U-N-K spells funk. So how many times do you hear somebody say something is funky? You might hear that every once in a while, but not very often. When they speak of funk, they say funk. Right. Right? right. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So so I was on an all-out crusade to change uh, F-U-N-K to F-O-N-K. And I I made that like a movement. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And and I'm still still on that. I'm still trying to make that a movement because nobody says funky. They say funky. It's all about the funk. That's right. We got to do a campaign on that. Word up. Exactly. We'll help you with that campaign. And by the way... Thank you. By the way, what's the funky gear you got on your website? Is it chocolate clown uh, clothes? What What are those clothes you're selling? It looks like really cool. This okay. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's t-shirts. Uh, my brother Stozo. Stozo, the brother clown from another. Mm-hmm. He and I collaborated on a, a collection, and it's his art, my concepts, his art. And um, so we have um, a collection of that. And then I have a collection of ones that I've done myself. And it's just, you know, for anybody who's a funketeer or into funk music, the T-shirts are there at One Stop Funk Shop for them to have and to get. You Mm. won't find it. Uh, One of my favorites right now is our funk emoji T-shirt. I saw that. That's a good one. Yeah, it's it's our version. They have emojis for everything except for funk. Right. They didn't have a funk. So, so me and Rama said, Rama, we need to make a funk emoji. Mm-hmm. So that's what that is. That's a funk emoji. You guys got all the best campaigns. I mean, God, chocolate for president. I mean, I'm voting for you for president. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like that uh, that black and uh, gray t-shirt. OG yeah. funk star. Yeah. Uh, Jay's looking at it right now. Yeah. And that one right there, that is so intricate because what he did, right. what Ronald did, he took each letter of funk, F-U-N-K, mm-hmm. and he, let's see, in, in one of the letters, um, you got James Brown mm-hmm. and all the JBs and all them. Then you got George and Bootsy and another one. You got Jimmy Larry Hendrix. and Grand Central Station. That's <laughs> right. in the K. I know that much. That's tight. <laughs> That's so yeah. Cool. And then you got Sly. In another letter. So, yeah. And all those, if you notice, it's so intricate the way Ronald did that. Yep. He put like 10 and 11 people in one, yeah. in one letter. And you, can, and you can recognize each person who they are. That Ronald, he is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. He's really amazing. You used to call him, they were like in a group called The Concept, right? Back in the day when he was really, really young. Mm-hmm. Right. And by the way, you yeah. guys, we're listening. Uh, we're listening to Chocolate tell us wonderful stories and basically explain everything to us. Explain, uh, you know, how funk is made and how to do it. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a breather and listen to another one of Chocolate's songs. And when we come back, we're going to talk to about uh, her career 
after she left Graham Central Station, she got into all kinds of interesting stuff that you may or may not know about. So we're going to talk to her about that. But first, let's listen to this song called Junior Boy. Can I say something about Junior Boy? Please. I I was going to ask you, so go ahead. At a point in time, I was working a lot with Wayne Henderson of the Jazz Crusaders. Jazz Crusaders, right. Like, for about three years, I was working with him. He called me in. I was writing songs with him. I did all of his sessions because Wayne Henderson was a was a funketeer himself. Yeah. Although he was known as a jazz musician, anytime he could infuse funk into whatever he was doing, he would. And that's why he would call me. He would say, chocolate. I need some of that chocolate funk. So uh, he was... He was producing Ronnie Laws's album, uh-huh. and so he called me in. He told me he needed some chocolate funk on this one song called Junior Boy. And um, so uh, this may be one of Ronnie Laws's funkier tunes that he probably ever had in life. Of course. <laughs> well, let's mm-hmm. hear it then. Let's hear some of that. Okay. She said, in his whole life.
just having a blast on Aced Out Podcast. We're talking to Patrice Banks, a.k.a. Chocolate, the Funketeer extraordinaire, Funk with an O, as an Oh My God. You said... Uh, That's right. <laughs> you said, Chocolate, uh, this is your quote. In my opinion, the group, talking about Graham Central Station, had missed the mark of greatness, falling victim to egomania. What do you mean by that? Um, because of the, the, the direction that the group went in after Larry became a Jehovah's Witness, I think that is the reason, well, not the whole reason, but part of the reason that we missed the mark because it took another direction. You know what I'm saying? It took yeah. a, a strictly selfish direction. And, um, you know, it just came to the point where Larry was just concerned about his own well-being, mm-hmm. you know, his, him him and his family's own well-being. Like, he didn't pay anybody. He ripped everybody off. And you cannot have a group when everybody is disgruntled, dissatisfied, abused, taken advantage of, feeling, you know, being pissed off. Because they're watching you go your way and everything and your lifestyle is like night compared to the rest of the group's lifestyle. Right. Lifestyle, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so you said you were paying, you are getting people paid People can like, only take that for so long, you right. know? You were making like three fifty a week at the height of your career? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I can't believe that. That's so, so hard for me to believe. So that's what basically happened. If, you know, if... You know, the Bible says that people think the Bible says that money is the root of all evil, but that's not what it says. It says the love of money is mm-hmm. the root of all evil. Right. So that's anytime money comes into play, then greed takes over and then it just messes up everything. Mm-hmm. So um, you said Willie Wilde was the first guy to kind of figure that out to go his own way. Uh, and then you, you yeah, left. he was the first one to get sick and tired. Yeah, it was like I am tired of this, and so he was the first one to leave. He went to a lawyer, all that. And did you you left during the recording of the album Mirror, right? Right. There's still I, uh, that song "Do Ya" on Mirror. That's that's funky. Uh, yeah, it is. Wasn't there something? That's that, one of my things. I love that too. Wasn't there something about like a lyric or something that you didn't want to sing? Like Larry wanted you to sing something. You said, I didn't want to do it. Uh, something he wanted to change the words or something. Yeah. So in this song, yeah, it's about a, a man and a woman, right? So, so Larry's part, he's saying, he's asking the woman, you know, do you love me? Do you want me? Do you need me? Right. So my part was, Yes, I want you, I love you, and I need you. But at this point, he was married. So he felt like it was necessary for me to say, before I started saying, yes, I want, I need, I love you, I had to say, just the other day, I heard your woman say. Uh Uh-huh. I had to qualify it, because he wants people to know. Mm. Right. (laughs) <laughs> you know that this was not these were not my sentiments you know he didn't want people to ever think that so you know silly stuff like that that right. was just silly to me this is a song you yeah. know what I'm saying yeah. and it's a very funky song and this part that I'm doing on it yeah. I love this part this is one of my more oh. I really love this and I want to say about this song yeah it was 
some parts in there that got so high as far as the range goes. Yeah. Until I could not get those notes out until, and this is an honest truth, this is a true story. I couldn't get those notes out until I stood on top of a stool, which had me like, and I had on platforms. So I was like way, I was standing way past six feet. (laughs) I was maybe, by the the time I was on that stool with those platforms on, I was about seven feet. But that was the only way I could get those notes out. That's amazing. Well, let's listen to that. Uh, Do ya. This is a chocolate's part on Do Ya off the Mirror album, Grand Central Station. Uh oh, here she comes. She's on the stool. Okay. So, um, so they were they were sneaking in, or I guess you said they were kind of sneaking in Gail Madro as like your replacement, right? Around this juncture, like they're kind of they had yeah you- they were yeah they were doing some shady stuff. I thought she was just because at that time I didn't know right. that there was a plan to you know work me out of the group. So they were like bringing Gail in insidu- insidiously, right? Um, but she didn't know it either. She thought she was just joining the group. She was pretty young, so, too. But, yeah, she was young. And Gail was very talented. That girl could of course. sing, yeah. and mm-hmm. she could play the guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was looking forward to her being in the group. I said, oh, this is going to be fun. Right. You know? Yeah. But it wasn't like that. They were trying to do something sneaky with it. Exactly. Mm. And then... Uh, a part that also kind of bummed me out to read about is you were off, you were about to get your own solo deal with Warner Brothers and they, they put a stop to it. They were like slinging mud behind your back and, and killed your deal, right? Yeah, they did. That's exactly what they did. I was about to, I was going to have a meeting. So Larry and Natalie. Natalie, his wife. Called them up and told them, you know, to squash that because I don't know exactly what they said, but I know that after they talked to him that they canceled the meeting and that was the end of that. That's horrible, man. They wouldn't give you no songwriting credit and wouldn't even let you live your life and do your deal. I mean, what would it matter to them if you had a solo album, right? I mean, right. Exactly. Such a strange negative thing, you know, especially, you know, with all that spirituality. You think they'd yeah. have love for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about, mm-hmm. you tried to get, um, oh, by the way, Jay Stone, hmm. 
This guy named Bubba was helping her get this deal. Yeah, I keep seeing that name. She had to chase him off at gunpoint. What? The guy guy wouldn't leave her alone. She's like, okay, we didn't get the deal. And he he kept coming around, you know. He he thought he was like the badass. He's going to tell her what to do. She... She she chased him away. I'm telling you, they got to make a series out of this book, Jay. I'm telling you. There's so many cool scenes. And sometimes she's like the, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> tell me about, um, so you got together with David Brown, Santana bassist, and you had a group going called Bad Baby, but then that kind of got messed up too, right? Like he kept yeah, trying to start that these- got messed up Yeah, too. But we were off to a good start. Right, right. And it sounded like a good group. we had all musicians. We had uh, David, like you said, and there was this brother named Jerry Bell, who was a friend of David's. That's how I met him. But I had known David for a while. And then I had Herschel right. and Larry Batiste and Clay Tobin. These are all names that are uh, very familiar yep. in mm-hmm. the Bay Area because these brothers, they went on to become like Larry Batiste. He, he's been doing the Grammy for the past Right. Uh, 25 years. Right. Some kind of big wheel over there as far as the music goes. And so we were ready. And so, um, the like I said, I don't want to give too many details, but yeah, the yeah. guy Jerry, the guy, guy Jerry, he and I, we um, got into somewhat of a relationship, and he ended up being crazy. And um, I had to escape from that whole situation myself. I had to, like, literally, like, escape. Right. <laughs> like, I had to wait till everybody left, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And, and leave. And uh, that was something else. That was very interesting. That yeah. was very interesting. Oh, my God. But that band was so wonderful. It, it was just that the men were in it, you know, where David at that time, he was seriously on drugs. Mm-hmm. So it was everything to just get him out of the bathroom long enough to rehearse <laughs> and stuff like that. So right. Oh, my God. What about Magic Box? That didn't music end box? up working. Yeah. What about Magic uh, Music Box? Was that, did that come Okay, at- well, that was, yeah. that was everybody I mentioned except for Jerry and David. They were out. So that's Larry Batiste and Clay Tolvin. And um, so we had this band, Magic Music Box. And that was a wonderful band. That was a great band. But... Yeah. I had moved back to Los Angeles and they were still up in the Bay Area. But we did go in the studio and we did cut some wonderful songs. And uh, we had a showcase and we were going, Warner Brothers. Was Warner Brothers? I don't remember. Came out to see us. Yeah, me neither. But mm-hmm. I believe it was somebody from Warner Brothers. They came out to see us and we had a showcase. And that went really, really well. Something happened with the politics. We didn't get the record deal, but um, that was a wonderful band. And uh, you got recordings. Did you find any? Did I do? Oh, I I know the general vicinity. Okay, that's close enough. Let's. If you find them, let us. <laughs> if you find them, let us know because we're at a studio where we can turn analog to digital. So um, let us know if you find those recordings. We'd love to help you um, uh, do something with them. I'm uh, going to, and as you know, yeah. Um, you know that there's a um, a gig cassette that I have of us uh, when I was with uh, Willie Wild in the Wild Bunch oh, for yeah. a minute too. So we need mm-hmm. that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be great, Willie Wild in the Wild Bunch. That'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. And dude, so many mm-hmm. people would want to hear that. You have no idea. Um, 
let me let me ask you this. You had a really cool, interesting period where you were going out on the road with a lot of singers. Uh, at the height of their careers, you went out with uh, Stephanie Mills and Shaka Khan. Would you mind telling us uh, just a little tidbit of uh, what happened? Uh, you played, you were singing with Stephanie Mil- Mills and you went to D.C. And it got to the part in the show where she introduced everybody in the band. And when she said your name, it was like a huge reaction. <laughs> so, right. Uh, uh, what happened after that? Like something kind of funky happened with Stephanie Mills after that, right? Well, you know, Stephanie, she could sing her butt off. She was a, she was a wonderful person. Yeah. And for the most part, that was a fun gig. But yes, we were in D.C. and she was introducing us. And when she did introduce me, I did get this huge reaction. And so after the show was over, <laughs> she kind of came over to me and she said that um, that was the first time that she had ever seen uh, a background vocal get that much of a response right. from an introduction. Kind of like a little remark. Yeah. So, like, yeah. <laughs> so uh i'm not gonna say what i said to her but it's in the book though right and so that was real interesting and so our dynamic kind of changed from that moment on right for the rest of the tour uh, <laughs> these egos man and then shaka khan um you said those shows went well but she seemed kind of troubled at the time uh but you you went out with her when you know with her big uh when she was at the height of her stuff, too. Yeah, she was doing a promotional tour. And Shaka, you know, uh, are there any words? There's nobody else mm-hmm. like Shaka. Right. And so I have uh, I had always been a fan with hers, of hers, I mean. And I was looking forward to doing that gig. Because uh, she had put the original Rufus back together. So Andre oh, right, right. Fisher, yeah. Bobby, mm-hmm. you, you know, Tony. Maiden, all of them, they were all back together again. And that's what that's what made that tour another whole level because it was the original band. Right. So much fun. But you know, Shaka was troubled with drugs. Mm-hmm. And um so she she had issues with that. But um it was a it was a very interesting experience and go, experience going out on the road with her. And you said you also you really liked the gig you got. Uh, singing with B.B. King, right? You said that was a pretty fun uh, gig. Mm-hmm. That was Jackie Simley. Jackie went on to be a vocal coach. Last time I saw her, she was uh, being a vocal coach to contestants of the American Idol. So she went really? on. And of course, we know right. Don Silva. Yep. Uh, she continues to be uh, the bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, yeah, Jackie... I forget how I met Jackie, but she called me in. She got the call for the gig for B.B. King, and she called me in. And Don was a friend of hers, so she called Don. And so, yeah, the three of us, we went on road on the road with B.B. He nice. decided that he had wanted for the first time to try to have some females, uh, you know, sing behind him. Right. Up until then, it just had been the boys, you know, they yeah. traveled on the buses a lot. So it was the boys on the bus. So they had their own way of doing <laughs> things, had their own culture, right. behaviors. And so with these three women, all of a sudden on the bus, it changed the whole thing. It was a whole nother dynamic with that. <laughs> but that was interesting because B.B. King, mm-hmm. he was a master of the blues. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
That must have been amazing. And then when did it we? Was. And then you finally did get signed as a solo artist um, to do a "She's Back and Ready" album. But uh, was it your d- decision to try to maybe change your musical image or theirs, or what was going on there? Because you seem like you're trying to do something different. Okay. Well, first of all, I finally got a record deal. Yeah. And so I thought that was it. I Long was time on coming. my way. Yeah. The rest was going to be history. Right. But it didn't quite work out that way. The record company was called T Electric. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Tyrell, it was his record company. And Cheryl Tyrell, his daughter, was the one that um, um, recruited me for the record label because um, she was a big fly and the Family Stone and Grand Central Station fan. So everything was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I went to New York to do the album. They put me up in a hotel. They, I was in the best recording studio, had the best of the New York um, musicians, had the best producers. It was all good. But they had another vision for me. You know, they, they wanted me to, to be the first lady of T Electric. So they were taking me in another direction, which was more commercial and popish. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I went with it because I figured, well, you know what, I'll do this now on this first album, do it the way they want me to do it. And from then on, you know, I'll do it the way I want to do it. I'll sure. go back to my roots. Sure. So unfortunately, um, as soon as the album was released, the album, the company, I mean, the record company went, went bankrupt. Mm. Oh. So the uh, album was never even released. Yeah. Well, one, but you I did, know, right? You released some singles, though. Did some singles got put out? Didn't they? One single got put out. Right, right, right. Well, one tune I uh, do like on the album that I think we should listen to is "Sunshine Love," and I think you got some of that yeah. out in the desert today, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen to This is Sunshine Love by Patrice Banks, otherwise known as Chocolate. Thank you. 
Did you like that one? Yeah, yeah I love that song. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And um, Jay Stone, mm-hmm. did you know this? I didn't know this, but I'm going to let everybody know now. Chocolate was the lead singer for Rose Royce. Yeah, I did know that. She was in the band for a while. I yeah, didn't know that, yeah. man. Um, so Kenny Copeland, tell us about how that period started, how you got uh, got with them. Okay, so at one point uh, after the album and everything, I had to come back home and, and work, right? So I was going out with everybody, and I was doing these gigs in um, L.A. We call them casual. They were corporate gigs, you know, right, for like right. big corporations and right. all that. So I met this girl on one of these corporate gigs, and um, so she liked my voice, and she asked for my number. I gave it to her. Didn't think that I was going to hear from her again because that was a real competitive, uh, you know, those casuals, they were real competitive. Mm-hmm. So I gave her the number, and she did call me, and she told me that she um, – had a session for me to do with her. We were going to do this session and we were doing it for this uh, rapper, this producer rapper. So I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I met her at the studio out in Compton and I get there and the the producer rapper was um, Dre, Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. <laughs> and um, yeah, he was Dr. Dre. I didn't know very much about Dr. Dre. Right. I was uncomfortable in that whole setting because <laughs> he had a cast of characters in the in the studio. Right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. they were, you know, they were doing some things that were making me real uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, but Dre was uh, producing this brother named. Jimmy Z, Jimmy who Z. played the flute, the flute, yeah. and um, he was known he was known for playing the funky flute. Mm-hmm. So he was infusing funk in his uh, in his CD that he was doing. So he had a couple of real funky songs that Dre was producing, and so I did that. And it was some of my better work. I, I really did like the way it turned out, and yeah. so. During this time, when I was doing the sessions, I was actually singing in the booth, and these two guys came in, and um, they were, it was Kenny Copeland and Henry, who was the drummer for Rolls Royce. I didn't know that at the time. I just saw these two guys, and Dre stopped the session. And I'm like, why are we stopping the session? I'm trying to get this over with because I was trying to get out of there. Like I said, it wasn't real comfortable. (laughs) So I was trying to get out of there. So, um, I ended. He ended up. Drake asked me to come into the, uh, you know, to the room for a minute. I came in. He introduced me to Kenny and Henry, and uh, Kenny was the leader of Rolls Royce. So that's how I met Rolls Royce. And the way Kenny and Dre knew one another was because they had the same manager. Right. And Kenny, he really, 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 really bad wanted Dre to produce them. Right. He kind of sent you on a mission. Really, really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> To the point where he came up to the session that day uninvited. But which it was Uh-oh. a good thing, you know, look at God, because that's how I met Kenny, you sure. know. And um, so that was the start. After Kenny heard me, he stayed for a while, and I was doing my part, me and the other young lady. And um, after that, before he left, he asked me for my number. And then I heard from him a couple of days later, and he asked me if I would be interested in uh, being in Rose Royce. Wow! And how was that gig for you? Was it something different, or what? What were, uh, what what kind of skills did you have to bring to the table for that kind of gig? Okay, it was very different. Mm-hmm. 
but I liked it because I had a chance to be, to step out, you know, because Rose Royce, the female, sang all the hit records. Right. You know, she sang all the hit records. So uh, I was doing the majority of the singing, except for uh, one of the bigger hits they had, Kenny sang, called I Want to Get Close to You. I want to get close to you. <laughs> Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it gave me a chance to really work on my chops as far as the attention being on me right. and being the one to carry the show. Because in Grand Central Station, Larry did all the singing. Right, you know, right. He was a star. People were focused mostly on him. But in this situation, they were focused on me. So that gave me a chance to elevate my chops. And um, I really did like that. That took, that took my uh, platform to another whole level. Word, that's great. Which I really did. Yeah, I dug that. They sang a lot of uh, ballads. Most of their hits were ballads. But that was good, too, because I was used to doing the funk and doing all this uh, powerful singing. Mm -hmm. But with with Rose Royce, I had to tone it down, control it, and, you know, emote. You know what I'm saying? While I was singing, uh, I'm wishing on a star and... I'm going down, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it gave me a chance to really broaden my horizons, and, and I really dug it. And you guys, you, you were with them to about 95 and did festivals with the likes of Lakeside, Gap Band, Evelyn King, Zap, Ohio Players. Um, and, oh, I love this. This is another good expression you had. You said you hate you hate when people call that stuff old school. What do you like to call it? I call it true school. <laughs> and you also called it Back to school. I like that. Instead of old school, back, and to, back school. to school. <laughs> <laughs> I need exactly. that t-shirt. I need that t-shirt. Tell Stozo to make that one for me. And uh, I agree with That's you. That's a good one, huh? <laughs> I agree with you. Why is old school a bad expression? Why do we have to stop saying old school, Chocolate? We have to stop saying old school because here in America, uh, oddly enough, not in so not in the rest of the world so much because in the rest of the world, people appreciate and know the value of wisdom and experience. Mm-hmm. But here in the United States, You're right. it's all about what what is next. Right. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. anything that is vintage is considered old, and old is considered uh, no good, um, don't know what you're talking about, get off the way, throwing you away, want to throw everything old or experienced or vintage or classic away. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's what our that's what our that's the way we look like it. Look look at it like here in America. So old has like a negative connotation. So that's why I do not like old school. Oh my God. So we gotta start that movement too, because I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. Hey, yeah. You, you know another song that you did that I really thought was great? You're talking about um the uh, Jazz Crusaders, and I like that album, uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce. And um, mm-hmm. you do a song with, I believe, Keb Mo, Jay Stone. You know Keb Mo, the yeah. guitar. Yeah. Uh, Down and Dirty Rice, otherwise known as Ya Ya. Let's listen to a little bit of that. This is Chocolate. She's singing over a little bit of Keb Mo and the Jazz Crusaders off the album Louisiana Hot Sauce in 1996. Yeah. Listen to this. Yeah. Long, 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 waiting for 
I think I gained about 15 pounds listening to that song, all that sweet <laughs> syrup and sugar. <laughs> I love it. Hey, um, hey. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to tell you this little tidbit. Go ahead. Every time that I would go and do a session with Wayne Henderson, yeah. what he would always have waiting for me, at, that we would both imbibe in, is Tennessee and... Uh, a bag of skins. You know what skins are? Yeah. <laughs> with with some hot sauce. With some hot sauce. Well, every time, huh? Every time. No wonder you were singing like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was like that was like how you have stuff on your rider. Well, that's what it was. Right. Like, he knew when I got there, mm. had the Hennessy and the skins and the hot sauce ready. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Hey, Chocolate, one of the more interesting parts, I think, in your saga is when Larry figured out he could make more money getting you guys back in the band. That um, that Graham Central Station reunion part, that actually seemed kind of cool at first. And all you guys came back, huh? But you you said you were older and wiser. <laughs> you couldn't fall for the BS at this point, right? Exactly. And it was cool. Um this was the first time Larry had reached out to me since I had, you know, since the 70s. And yeah, he wanted right. to do um, a reunion. And so it was real cool. It was me, Bush, Herschel, uh, Wilton Rab was in the group. Mm -hmm. And um, it was his brother named Gaylord Birch um, that was on drums. And so it was cool. I was looking so forward to it. And... The first day we rehearsed, we were in Oakland. I came, I went up to, uh, came up to Oakland so that we could rehearse. Right. And when we got in that rehearsal uh, room, the very first note, it was like all those years had not, those thirty something years since I had seen them had not passed by. We did not miss a beat or a note. Wow. So I was looking so forward to this reunion. And so it started off good because mm -hmm. I was excited about it and looking forward to it. But eventually it was the same OBS. You know, Larry was still at that point trying to, uh, you know, play games with the money. Yeah, wow. you said um, so, all of a sudden some like a crew showed up doing like a documentary and stuff. And you're like, what's going on? Right. They they were doing, they were filming and doing a whole documentary and a recording the our sets and stuff like that right and the music you know recording the music it was a live cd type thing it was mm. like they were doing it and we just looked up and there they were larry never came to any of us we didn't have a meeting telling us what was going on we just looked up and there they there they were so you can't do that right That's, you can't do that you have to get people's permission, and then you have to tell people how much money they're getting paid to participate in this project <laughs> so right. none of that happened. So that's how it ended. You know, it ended on a bad note, unfortunately, wow. because of um, all that, all those games. You did say you had a like the pinnacle of your career was a gig you did at the North Sea Jazz Festival in the Netherlands, right? You said that was a good show. Yeah, that was awesome. That was like the first time in my life I had performed in in front of so many people that. I could not even see. It just looked like the ocean. It looked like an ocean of people. You could not see where the people ended. This was at the North Sea Jazz Festival. Now, I had seen that once before. I had seen that when uh, I was with Larry and Sly 
did the Isle of Wight festival. Uh-huh. It was it was like the there's like the 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 UK version of Woodstock. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I saw that, but I wasn't performing. I was just there. But this time I was performing, and I can't even explain what that felt like. Wow. wow, that is so amazing. But still, there's just yeah. stuff. I'm, there's stuff that I just don't. Well, here's a point. It's a difference between you and other people. Uh, at one point, it, you said that David Dynamite and Willie Wilde they actually tried to approach a Graham Central Station show, but they kind of got rejected. Like Larry didn't even look at them. Right? You were surprised. You thought they would come on stage with you. Right. We were at the Fillmore. We were up on stage and we were, uh, you know, we were doing our thing, tearing it down like we usually do. Right. And so after the song was over, the it was a huge crowd and, you know, everybody was standing up, you know, on the floor. Right. And all of a sudden, the 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 crowd started uh, separating, like the Red Sea. And when I looked, I was wondering, like, what's going on? And so when I looked up there, I saw David and Willie coming up. They were making their way up to the stage. Wow, yeah. And so David had something that he was handing me. And so when they came up to the stage, David handed me this picture that I still have today of me and himself and me and him. Wow. And so Larry, I looked over at Larry because uh, I'm knowing to myself that Larry's going to tell them to go around and come on and come on up to the stage, sure. you know, and come on and jam with right, us. Let's right. do it, you know? Right. And Larry did not even make eye contact with them. Wow. And when they saw that, they just turned around and walked back, came, you know, walked back the way they came. And <sighs> I was so hurt by that. I know. But I had to stay in the moment. And you had to keep and performing. And so we just moved on to the next song. But I was really hurt by that because when I saw them, I was so glad to see them. Right. And I just knew that Larry was going to make sure that they came up and jammed with us. Right. But that didn't happen. Jeez. That's the type of thing I just don't understand. I'm sorry to hear that. Those types of things just hurt my heart. Um, yeah, I was hurt by that. And one final thing about that that you said that I think is a good role, a role model, makes you a good role model for other people out there, other musicians and creative people. You said that even though the Graham Central Station reunion ended badly, ended on a sour note, you would still consider doing a reunion even today uh, just because you want to represent for the back to school funk, not, you know, not old school. Right, exactly. You get you you get an A for that. Um, <laughs> I'm studying. I'm trying. I would. I would. If 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 Larry called me tomorrow, right. I would go back. Wow. Because to me, it's about at the end of the day, it's right. about the funk, and it's right. about the legacy of funk. And right. the truth of the matter is, there are not very many of us left that came from that era right. that are out here still doing it. That's right. And so, if I can be a part of keeping that funk alive and doing it in the most authentic, valid way, the way that it was meant to be, the way that that we made it. If I could be a part of keeping it like that, like I wouldn't mind like falling out on stage and dying. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's real. You know, That's real. If, if I was yeah, if I was hitting one of those notes, uh-huh, and I yeah. just fell out. That would be fine with me <laughs> because I, I I was keeping it real. You there know you what go. I'm saying? That's so beautiful. To me, it's all about doing whatever I can to keep the funk alive and keep that legacy going because it's gonna be a thing of the past. I think in a minute. Well, I admire that chocolate because 
that's looking past your own ego. I mean, I know, I know you have your own opinions, your own strong feelings about stuff, but, and you know, you're not in love with everybody. There's no love loss, but you know what I mean? You're, you're bigger than that. You know, it's all about the funk and you're, you're, you're willing to see past that to make it happen for the exactly. fans. I, I really respect that. In other words, you're all about that straight funk, right, Waze? That's, that's your cue. No chaser. <laughs> no chaser. I don't need a chaser for my funk. Put that chaser back in the refrigerator. Thank you. <laughs> Say No preservatives, please. I don't need any of that. There she is. She's back to her roots. Tell us about uh, that song, recording that tune. Who did you say that was on bass? That's uh, my bass player and musical director. Yeah. His name is Bill Pittman, but we call him Captain Swoop. And oh. we wrote that song together. The track is his, the lyrics are mine. Shout out to Captain Swoop. Yeah, Captain Swoop. That's right. Whoop, whoop. Right here in L.A. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a great tune, man. That You're getting back to your roots. That's got that slap, right, J-Stone? Mm-hmm. You guys, we're talking to Chocolate, Patrice Banks. Remember, you go to onestopfunkshop.com. That's the number one. Stop. Funk. Shop. Dot com. There you go. Jay Stone already went there. He was checking out and drooling over all yeah, the clothes there. Tight stuff. And you can pick up uh, all of her. She's a published author, Chocolate. She's a great writer. Really, really good writer. It's not just that the stories are interesting. She's actually very good at telling them. And uh, she's quite the rock on tour. 
This is the part uh, we're going to get ready to say goodbye. I don't really want to. I could talk to Chocolate for four more hours, but she's right. sweating out there in desert. So I'm going to give her a break. <laughs> this is the part of the uh, this is the part of the show where I just ask her some random questions before we sign off. Chocolate, is it true? Did you see Jimi Hendrix ass? Did you see him change his pants on stage one time? <laughs> It's true. I, what happened, what, this was at the Isle of Wight, I was mentioned before. Okay. And so right. he was playing. It was his set. Uh, Larry and I were standing behind the uh, monitors watching it. <laughs> and he had on some extremely tight pants and he made a move. Yeah. And the pants split in the in the booty area. Dang. And so uh, I did get a chance to see uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, booty. And wow. so then he had to come behind the monitors, that right? Is funny. Not very far from me and Larry and and change his pants. No, he didn't change his pants. What he did was he tied a shirt or something around his, <laughs> they his have waist. A video of that concert. But yeah, so I'm standing there between <laughs> Jimi Hendrix and Larry Grant. Yeah. <laughs> you said Jay that they have a video maybe video, you can yeah, figure I, out. I've watched that uh, Isle of Wight Jimi Hendrix concert. Go, yeah, I'm gonna go too, back and look right. at it again. So it must be that. I'm gonna yeah. go study that. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us about what, um, oh, uh, Jay, what year was that? And where did you see that? Because I, I would like to see that. It's 1970, I, it, I think. Yeah, but I seen it somewhere maybe in the hate. But you can see it online somewhere. Yeah, they if may I, look, I'll find okay, it. And I'll send I would it have to, to look for it. Yeah, okay. I'll find. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I don't think. I think it's, that's. I'm sure it's on YouTube though. <laughs> I don't think they have that scene though. I think that's your exclusive. <laughs> they probably took that <laughs> but, out. No, but, but that what, happened. True story. I want to say like it was a part where they were playing, and he just goes to the side. Oh, that must be it. Yeah, <laughs> man, I got to. Yeah, I gotta that must it be it. it. Yeah. Cause I watched that plenty of times because oh, they showed man. it right, right. someplace. I think the Red Vic on Hate Street or right, something back right, in the day. Right, right. I'm gonna go watch that again. You're right. I was gonna ask you what is the what is the Kizzy kit? Okay, the Kizzy kit is yeah. world famous. That is uh, what I took with me out on the road because you know I've been going out on the road for most of my life. Right. And um, so I learned that I needed to take what happened was I was in the room one day and the maid came in and she was cleaning up and she used the same towel to clean the the toilet, oh, wipe no. around the toilet yeah. that she used uh -huh. to clean everything else. Oh, yeah. I said, wait a minute. So from that point on, I brought all my own cleaning supplies out on the road. There you go. Every time. For years I've been doing this. I also bring my own sheets and mm -hmm. towels. Yeah. And, you know, people used to, especially in Rolls Royce, because it was just guys, right? Mm -hmm. So they used to clown me because I would have all my cleaning supplies and stuff. Right. But we would go to places that they would be <laughs> in such bad shape that they would come to my door and knock on my door asking me <laughs> if they could buy some of my cleaning supplies. Who's laughing? So this was a good way for me to make some side money <laughs> because oh, I was okay. charging. You were charging on that, huh? I was yeah. charging, yeah. Ah, you're a business lady. That's so smart. And by the way, you had the last <laughs> laugh too. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey, do you, speaking of, we were talking about re rare recordings before. Do you have a recording, uh, you were talking, um, Dynamite Happiness. David Dynamite and Herschel Happiness tried to do a group. Do you have any recordings on that? Dynamite Happiness? I would love to hear that. You know what? Do I have something? I think I do. <gasps> you know, I have... Be still my heart. Ace, I have like yeah. a million... I have all of my cassettes. Mm. Okay? Okay. And so it's just a matter of going through them. 
And I'm pretty sure that I do have something from that. And I'm not, honestly, my yeah. word, I will look through them and search and see what I can find for you. Because I would love for you to do what you said you could do. You can you yep. could, uh, make them digital for me, right? Yeah, my boy Waze right here can do it. That's his business. He does it every day. Big time. Yep. Okay, because I, I would love that. Yeah, we can hook all that up and master it too so it sounds really clean. Whole nine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. It's been so great to talk to you. And by the way, everybody, don't think that, oh, I know everything about chocolate now. You really don't. You just dipped your toe into it. You got to buy her book, uh, Deja Vu, not Vu, Deja Vu, Memoirs of a Funk Diva. It's We only scratched the surface. You could definitely make a three or four season HBO program out of her <laughs> life. And there would be some action scenes, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to do. I, I think that uh right. that this book can make a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful it one. And that's what I would you know, I'm not giving up. You know, it's never too late. You never can tell what can happen. So yeah. right. uh, this is a book that would make a wonderful movie. Contact um, and also I wanna say yeah. in parting that I I appreciate you and Jay. Um Jay is a sweetheart. I appreciate that you guys are doing this. It is so important, you know, to have this kind of information Mm -hmm. that people can go back and listen to. Because Mm -hmm. like I said, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, funk is, you know, is... I don't want to say it's going to be extinct. I don't want to use that word as far as my generation goes. But this is history. And I appreciate the fact that you are recording it. And you just, you know, you keep that funk alive. That's all we're trying to do. You stay stay cute, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, that's that's another thing about uh, Chocolate's book. She has a lot of comments about what you could call male beauty. She has something to say about how every guy looks she's ever met. She describes she, she describes his face, his ears, his eyes, his rear end, his physique. <laughs> She's got opinions on that, y'all. <laughs> uh oh, are you gonna make another book? Don't write about me. I'm afraid what you're gonna say. <laughs> you already know. Hey, you already know you're cute. Don't make me call human resources department on you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now look. Um, we just scratched the surface. It's been great talking to Chocolate. And I want to thank you one more time, Chocolate. It's been like a trifecta of the last six or seven weeks. We did the Funk for Our Lives. We did the Willie Wild Memorial. And now we did your episode. It's just been a Graham Central Station, just uh, extravaganza. It's been wonderful. I finally know so much more about the group that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely just going to have you on again when you can visit us in person, okay? I would love that. What are you going to do for the rest of the day? What are you going to do tonight? I'm going to go and um, make that refrigerator run. You know, I'm good for making those runs. Mm -hmm. That's where the wine is. (laughs) And then I'm going to uh, sit here and chill out. That's what I'm going to do. I got more stuff coming up. Okay. So, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to try to relax because it really is hot out here. Mm Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. That's the best. And well, promote this show. I'm going to get on Facebook and promote this show. Oh, right on. That's beautiful. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. that Willie Wilde episode is very popular. It's still, I mean, it's just getting hit after hit after hit. People are sharing it. So I'm, I'm glad it actually made a difference. I'm really, really proud and happy about that. So, so thank you for asking us. That is awesome. All right. Well, you have a, you have a great evening, Miss Lovely. I'm going to talk to you soon. I'll give you a call. I'll give you an update. When things are coming together, July 1st, we're going to premiere. It's been great talking to you. And I try to stay cool. The pleasure has been mine. Aw, right thank on. you. 
And may the funk continue to be with uh, you and Jay and Waze, okay? You too, and that's funk with an O. was a serious sister jay stone man that's about as serious as it gets super soul sister and she she's always concerned she wants to know she called me immediately after and said was that okay is yeah. that gonna sound all right, right and i told right. her yeah i think so it's gonna sound okay she came out very well that was a beautiful interview and i hope a lot of young ladies get to hear that jay stone man i mean that's inspiring you know i didn't i didn't mention earlier but i was looking at some statistics and i was pleased to find that actually a giant chunk of our audience is younger 30 years old and younger mm. which is i'm really glad about that yeah so i hope we're explaining this stuff right and they're picking up on all the right. cues we're putting out there you know all the breadcrumbs we're trying to leave right uh speaking of breadcrumbs we're trying to leave I wanted to shout out, you know, JW up there in Detroit. Yeah. JW, original drummer for Parlette, brother to Debbie Wright, the great P Funk singer, mm -hmm. uh, who was also in Parlette. He's also a producer for Aced Out Podcast. He's responsible for some of our best episodes. Um, remember, Jay Stone, he's got those boots. Man. Um, George Clinton gifted those boots from the Funkintelliki album cover. Yes. Funkintelki versus the placebo syndrome. You remember, uh, how would you just describe those boots? How do they look, Jay Stone? Man, they're black. I uh -huh. would say they maybe come up a little above the knee. Right. <laughs> and they're about maybe six inches off the ground. Right. And they have a rainbow and some rhinestones going in like a downward direction. But the ones around the front uh -huh. from this part looks like they're smiling at you. Nice. You know? Right, so, right, right. If you might be on some psychedelics for that one, you know, that would come into full effect. <laughs> and anyway, J-Dub is in possession of these boots. Um, I don't know. I guess uh, George Clinton just got off stage during that tour, during the actual... This is contemporaneous. During the okay. actual tour, he was wearing those. And one night, he came off the stage. Remember, J-Dub told us a story. Yeah. And he was just sick of the boots. He took them off, and he gave them to Debbie. And mm -hmm. Debbie, Debbie, unfortunately, passed away. And uh, uh, J-Dub wound up with the boots, 
and he would like a, a Funketeer to have these boots, and he is selling them. We're going to keep them. We're going to keep it uh, easy for you. Just go to acedoutpodcast.com, mm-hmm. look at episodes, go to episode five. That's one, two, three, four, five. That's the JW episode. And if you go there, you can see a picture. That's where, uh, that's why Jay Stone was able to describe the boots so accurately. He's looking at the picture right now as they're we tight. speak on the website. They are tight. They're Just, signed by him. Yeah, yeah, they're signed. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. They're signed by GC. And uh, you know what? Just contact me through our channels, and I'm going to contact JW for you. I'm going to broker that. He gave me permission to do that. And that's uh, JW's uh, George Clinton Boots from the Funkatelliki versus Placebo Syndrome album cover, and also from the tour, all right? Uh, we're going to say goodbye. I've, I've done so much talking this month, way more talking than I like to do, Jay Stone. I mean, two mm-hmm. episodes in one month? Right. I mean, <laughs> I, oh, <laughs> under protest, you know? But anyway, uh, I'm going to be like a monk. I'm going to go to the top of a hill and not talk for the next six months. Right. No, not really. We're going to do another show coming up soon, guys. Uh, but before we leave, I did want to shout out Little Richard. Yes. Little Richard left the earth uh, there's so much going on, so much to keep track of. So I just want to lay that marker there. He lived until 87 years old, Jay Stone. So that's a blessed thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 87 years old. Uh, little Richard doesn't need me too much to shout him out because he got his propers. Everybody does know Little Richard, including all the greats. I hope so. And he is sung, sung, and sung some more. However, there are a couple of things that we at Ace Out Podcast need to add to that canon. First of all, Jay Stone, you may or may not know this, but there's this book called The One. It's about James Brown. It came out in like 2012. It was mm-hmm. featured in the Tales from the Tour Bus book. The author was one of the talking heads. Okay. He wrote a book called The One, and it's a biography about James Brown. It's one of the better ones. It's a very good one. Mm-hmm. In it actually explains, this is how James Brown first started making money, is basically imitating Little Richard. Mm. I'm talking gig after gig after gig. And when I say imitating, I don't mean like a tribute act. I mean like Little Richard was a huge star at the time, Tutti right. Fruity. Okay. Everybody wanted to book him. Uh-huh. And people wanted to book him even if he couldn't, <laughs> even if he wasn't booked. Yeah. And they would just book somebody and say, Little Richard, you know, because there's no Google back then, no yeah, iPhones. Yeah, so you couldn't tell who was who. Yeah, it was, you might as well be 1750, not 1950. Right. You, you, unless you were there, you wouldn't know. So people would go, oh, I just saw Little Richard. You know, right. all the, you know, white people, the audience, they don't know. They don't know. So it was, yeah, yeah it was James Brown with the pompadour. Right. <laughs> just singing, you know, just doing a set of Little Richard with songs. With his little pancake Right, makeup. right, with a yeah. pancake makeup. And that's how he got his start. And I don't mean just three or four times. I'm talking dozens upon dozens of gigs he did that. Word. And uh, that was common back then. Pretty shady. Yeah. But uh, he cut his teeth with that. But, you know, another cool thing that I instantly thought of is Robin Russell, J. Stone. Mm-hmm. Remember, we interviewed, go back to episode seven, you guys, of Ace Out Podcast. We interviewed the legendary Robin Russell, the great drummer for New Birth. Mm-hmm. And as you remember, uh, Robin Russell, he was a prodigy when he was very young. And when he was a teenager, he actually went out on the road with Little Richard. Right. Which, That's right. Remember? Yeah. And you and I were like amazed by that. Yeah. We were like, oh my God. And we had question after question after question. And actually he was doing gigs like Wembley, Wembley Stadium, Stadium. And Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Don't even ask. And so we listened to, we actually listened to some audio from Wembley Stadium with Robin Russell. And do you remember Jay Stone? Um, 
I asked him a question about the uh, what it's like performing with them because I read it years ago. I want to say in Vibe magazine, like 1990 or something, mm-hmm. they did an article about Little Richard, like a retrospective. It right. had this really cool picture of him milking a cow with no shirt on. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Little Richard, so crazy. And um, anyway, in that article, I remember reading because I was already playing in bands at that time, even though I was very young. Mm-hmm. And it said something like, yeah, the musicians, like, they don't know what's going to happen. They have no idea. Right. And they just have to watch Little Richard to see what's going to happen to yeah. play the show. And they have no clue, no set list, nothing. And so I, I always, that always stuck in my mind. I couldn't believe that. So remember, I asked Robin about that. And yeah. he verified. And here's yeah, yeah. what he said. Go ahead and play that clip, Waze. This is from episode seven of Aced Out Podcast. We got on the show with Richard. There was no such thing as a set list. That's what I was wondering. I thought so. (laughs) Right, right. No such thing. He did it on the spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. So you you had to pay attention. So when he said, we're going to play Good Golly Miss Molly right there, was that when you heard that we're going to play Good Golly Miss Molly, in other words? Is that when you found out? Yeah. Right there. (laughs) Right there. Right there. Yeah. Because I could tell, and I could hear because he started on the piano and then everybody fell in too. So he just kind of gets it going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's the way it worked with him the whole time. There was no set list. Oh my God. That that just gets the adrenaline pumping even harder, right? Yeah. You know, you you had to pay attention. Right. You had to pay attention. Um, which you know is discipline, you know, yep. because you you can't you can't be drifting. Your thoughts cannot be drifting between song and song because you you don't know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Yes, he he will tell you right there on the spot. Oh wow! And that was a cool clip, right? So he yeah. verified that it's true. It's absolutely true. That's heavy. And uh, that's hard to believe. And can you imagine that in, in Wembley Stadium or a place like that, just like going for it? And right. They would just they would find out what they're doing while they're doing it. Right. <laughs> but it's not like they're playing improv jazz. They're playing, you know what I mean? They're yeah, playing yeah. standards, but it's like, you know, they don't know what key it's going to be on, the tempo. They don't know mm-hmm. what's going on. And uh, anyway, I thought that was great. So I just wanted to play that clip. Uh, Waze has been encouraging me, by the way, to play clips from previous shows. So I thought that'd be a good yeah, opportunity. That's a good idea. So we speak your name, R.I.P. Little Richard. Uh, don't want to leave without shouting out the Funkonauts. We got to get together soon. Shout yes. out to Brother P. Patrick Owen. Shout out to McFab. Yeah. I know McFab. He liked the last episode with Willie Wilde. Shout out to Osha. Osha, that's savage. By the way, um, on Funk for Our Lives, it was funny. Uh, Chocolate Salt. I'm not going to say this brother's name, but his last name is Savage. I was like, ah, it's Osha. (laughs) It's Osha, man. Osha Savage. (laughs) Shout out Coyote. Yeah, Coyote. Dre, what's up? And uh, I want to shout you guys out. Let's get together soon. Uh, The last time we played a gig uh, was when we played Tupelo, Tupelo, J-Stone. Yeah, Tupelo. And uh, that was so funny. I picked up uh, Brother P. Patrick at his house to drive in. We drove in together. And I was listening to uh, uh, Alligator Woman, you know, uh-huh. cal- Cameo, Alligator yeah. Woman. And we're listening to the first song, and he's like, yeah, Ace. This is, this is Brother Pete. Right. He's like, yeah, Ace. Charlie Singleton plays all the instruments on this song. And I was like, oh, he does? Uh-huh. You know, I, I didn't know that. He's like, yeah. You didn't know that, Ace? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? <laughs> and then he's all, he just looked out the window, like all disappointed, Man, like Brother shit. Brother P is the funk godfather I history know. book encyclopedia. I do this show like I know something. He always makes Man. me feel stupid. Like everything Brother. he says, he just saw, he's all, I'm listening to, uh, 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 when we did Good to Your Ear Hole, we yeah. used to play Good to Your Ear Hole. Yeah. He's all, yeah. On that song, the bass player for Rare Earth is the bassist on Good Your Ear Hole. I was like, he is? He's all, you didn't know that? <laughs> That's going to be the thing. You didn't know that? That's going to be the name of his biography. Yeah. Patrick Owens, you didn't know that? <laughs> but yeah, that was funny, man. I, I was just thinking about that the other day. Like, we got to go play a show. Uh, by the way, speaking of shows and live stuff, future guests, we are going to have uh, violinist and slayer of Satan himself, mm-hmm. Nitrous. We're gonna have uh, Emily Palin come in here, nice, and she's gonna perform with us. I even know Jay Stone what song we're probably gonna do, okay, and what the video is gonna be like. Remember, you guys, if you go back to episode eight, we did a performance with Stymie, uh, Jay Stone. Remember, he's a guitar god. And I'm a bassist myself, and we played a little song with Stymie. We're going to play a tune with Emily Palin from Nitrous M1. She's got a new single out now and a new album coming out next month in August. She's going to be on the show. She told me that she's rehearsing with her band, Jay Stone. Oh, yeah? So I don't know. I mean, it sounds kind of dangerous, but maybe we should be rehearsing. Oh, yeah, I was By about the way, to say, are they open yet? It's like Soundwave and what have you? I don't know. That's where you got to check huh, in. I didn't yeah. ask her where she's rehearsing, but she says she is rehearsing with her band, and uh, I have, I got my COVID test, by the way. I got my COVID-19 test last Saturday. Yeah. And, uh, dude, they stick, like, these, like, uh, pole vault size like, Q-tips Damn. up your nose simultaneously. They hold these two Q-tips, and they go, I, when I say up your nose, they Damn. go up your nose. Like, they stick it far, so far up my nose, I forgot how to spell nose. You know, they give me, like, <laughs> dyslexia. I'm like, N-Q-R-P, nose. Right. Like, uh, you know. It hurt really bad, but I got my uh, results a couple days later. I'm clean, man. Nice. I don't got it. Nice. So, yeah, we should practice. We yeah, should man. definitely do that. I'm ready. So we got future episodes coming up, y'all. Thank you. Keep it funky. Uh, don't don't miss our previous episode with Willie Wild, our memorial for Willie Wild. And uh, this has been another great episode. A couple of random things I want to say. Uh, RTJ4, the fourth Run the Jewels album, is out. It's very poignant right now. As you know, Jay Stone and I, most albums that come out these days, we think they're horrible. We usually don't listen to anything released after 1984 or so. So uh, when a new album comes out, it's worth mentioning. I will mention it. That's Killer Mike and uh, Run the Jewels 4. There's also season two of Doom Patrol. Don't miss Doom Patrol on DC Universe. Sort of the dysfunctional family of the DC Universe. Uh, That's a great show. And it barely makes sense, but that's how I like it. And uh, like I said before, I've been reading some cool books lately. I just read uh, Sheila E.'s autobiography. Did you know Sheila E. had an affair with Carlos Santana for years when her father was in Santana? No. Neither did I. Jeez. <laughs> and that's in the book, man. It's fascinating. Wow. Prince, uh, Prince proposed marriage to her while they were on stage. Wow. But uh, she didn't like Prince anymore because he wouldn't let her let her go see her grandma's funeral. So uh. they had the house. It's an amazing book. And just talking about music and how she practiced and got so good. Is uh, Sheila E. married? She's not married currently, no. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's you got to read this book. It's really amazing. But it's not as good as Chocolate's book. Yeah. Uh, and I really mean that. I'm, you know, I read books all the time. So I'm yeah. a serious book critic. 
Chocolate's book is the bomb, and I recommend you guys order it. Netflix. It. Yeah, Netflix. Come on now. Hey, um, you got like you live in where's where do you live exactly, Jay Stone? I live in Ben Loman. Ben Loman, and you got you kind of got in your neighborhood, man. I don't want to blow it up. You kind of got a little bit of alt righty kind of things going yeah. around your vicinity. Uh, Did, I was yeah. Go ahead. I was actually going to a Black Lives Matter protest in Sonoma with my daughter. When was this? This was like uh, about three weeks ago now, maybe. And your how old is your daughter now? Which she daughter? is twenty. Sailor. Tw- twenty. Wow. Yeah. And um, as soon as we were about to go, we heard all these sirens, like you know, like crazy. Right. And. I mean, so I went outside and it was all these sheriffs and uh, highway patrol. Damn. I mean, like with their machine guns out and rifles and uh, handguns and shit. Um, I was like, "Yo, is everything all right?" I was videoing <laughs> with my phone, right? So I, and it's right, not right. Gonna, they're not gonna get me. Phone comes right, right out. Hey, is so, everything okay? <laughs> homeboy was like, "Oh, we got to put all these people on lockdown." So what people? All Ben Loman. Oh, my whole your whole spot. Yeah, wow. So nobody could leave, and it was this cat that they uh, he was uh, having bomb making material mm. and, and all kind of things like that. Timothy like McVay a Nazi type stuff, like Nazi type of stuff, right? <clears throat> yeah, but they were saying they're trying to put him on some some boogaloo stuff, which is like oh, some alt right wing type junk. But he wasn't none of that. And um, but what he was or is is a sergeant at Travis Air Force Base, and when they he caught, is yeah man when they caught him, you know if it would have been me and you we, right. we wouldn't have been walking. He was walking and talking to these guys like, you know, like it, right. Like in they all words, knew each other. In other words, you're saying that they they they, they would should have jumped this guy and man, put him down the ground like yeah, they he, usually he do. He killed a cop. Right. He killed a sheriff. You know that and was then, national news by the way. And then there's two. Uh, Helicopters over our house. I mean, we live in the Redwoods, so right. pollen is everywhere, all right. over the car and stuff. And so they were looking for these other two, and they found them like a few days later. But now they're relating them back to some shooting that happened at the Oakland um, Federal Building and what have you. So who knows, man? I mean, you know. Didn't one of your kids think they came for you or something? Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. My wife, you know, she's like, Jason Tuck Walken said that they're, they're here. And I was like, what did I do? <laughs> That's why I went outside. I had a nice white shirt on, you know, clean and, you know, like, yo. Yeah, yeah. It's been doing the whole time. It's such, it's so messed up that you even have to feel that way. Like, you're, oh, huh, man. Huh. You're like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, with everything just going on. I mean, and, and a few days before that, there was a Black Lives Matter protest on this little corner. And, mm-hmm. You know, I live in a small little town. So right, right. It was kind of weird, but. You know, you know, it is what it is. That's wild. I'm glad you're okay. And you were like live streaming that. I remember yeah. that. You're like, look <laughs> at these tanks, man. <laughs> yeah, man, because tanks came. Right. Bomb, bomb robots and all kind of things. Bomb were, robots. Man. That's, that's why, by the way, when you guys say you hear defund the police, that's what they're talking about. They're not saying like take away all their money. They're saying like, why do we need all these toys, dude? They're crazy. We don't. That could like build a school with some right. of the crap they got. Right. You know and what I mean? They don't they need that stuff. Put that money back into the music program, art program, and things like that for the children to. Uh, you got teachers buying their thrive. own chalk, man. Man, I mean, they're, yeah, they have to buy a paper and you yeah. know, get their own money to, if they want to go on a field trip and stuff like this and ask the parents. Right. They got to do like a fundraiser for a, a goddamn fundraiser. field trip, yeah. right? When, you know, they've already put how many billions and billions of dollars back into the economy, even before they put out this stimulus. Yeah. You know, when it, when the stock market was going. Yeah. They put trillions of money. 
that money could be going straight to the kids, man, to all these homeless people down, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the homeless people in every town, I'm sure it looks like this everywhere. Just the just the flip-flapping uh, over my house of the ghetto birds every night for like three weeks straight is like, how much gas of tax, taxpayer money is going into the gas? Just keep that thing Telling flapping you, there. Man. And all they're doing is looking at Lake Merritt. There's nothing going on down there. Just yeah. people with pro, like signs and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah man. So uh, I feel you on that. So that's all they mean. Uh, so, oh, you know what? Uh, I see... Ways is giving me the evil eye. He wants to get out of here. He always leaves on the weekend, by the way. Do you have a double life? What are you doing? I think he's in the CIA. Anyway, <laughs> Ways wants to get out of here, so we're going to call it quits. I was going to ask you, Jason. I'm going to let you call it. Um, like, when you leave here now, what are you going to listen to in your car? What have you been playing lately? What's in your, um, you know, what's in your play? Man, I've been listening to old tunes, uh, Temptations. Okay. You know, Rick James and, you know, Smokey Rob, old Motown, you know, right. things like that. I'm trying to... Get my listen to the writing skills and you know what uh, what temptations it. have you been hearing? Take a stroll through your mind. Take a stroll through your mind. That song's like twenty three minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what? I said we're gonna do it, so we'll do it. This is the you know in this day and age with all the stuff going on, yeah. people are starting to lose it, starting to lose their shit a little bit. Yeah, let's take a stroll through your. You know what? We're gonna. I'm gonna honor that, Jay Stone. Right let's on, play man. that. Let's let's go on this journey. This is a an epic temptation song. This is I, I believe I'm assuming this is a Norman Whitfield creation mm-hmm. with what's going on here. This is like the Star Wars of Temptations. Let's take a stroll through your mind, and we're gonna see you guys real soon on Aced Out Podcast. Smell you later. Holla. One drive, that's all it took. Ooh, ooh, ooh. One drive, that's all it took. Take a stroll through your life sometime. You'll be surprised at what you might find. Take a stroll through your mind Sometime You'll be surprised at what you might find Yeah People I got some shit On a cloud of day Yeah I got some shit Well, I'm grooving, grooving, me and myself, digging. I'm just grooving, grooving, me and myself. Oh, how am I just Take a stroll to you, man. Sometime you'd be surprised what you might find. Take a stroll to your mind sometime. You'd be surprised at what you might find. Yeah, just a minute. Call it on the group to give me a little hope.